0: No purchase necessary void are prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot! And being in PJs by six. Let's go! The new fun Sarah Woohoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. <laughs> Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No
0: purchase necessary. We we're by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to Mike Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant, and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to have the guests sitting across from the desk from me this evening. What we have here is a former U.S. Navy SEAL assigned to SEAL Team 5 and SEAL Team 6 as an enlisted guy, and then spent some time at SEAL Team 3 as an officer. He was a SEAL instructor. He's got hundreds of combat operations and was medically retired in June of 2013 after 17 years of service and received 5 bronze stars four of which were with valor a purple heart a joint service commendation medal navy and marine corps commendation medal with valor three navy achievement medals two combat action ribbons and a presidential unit citation he holds two world records one for a 36500 foot jump and another for an 18 mile wingsuit jump he's a licensed commercial pilot god fucking help us <laughs> <laughs> He's, so uh, very true start <laughs> starting star a hit TV show the hunted on CBS History Channel series Navy SEALs America's Secret Warriors He's got a dedicated segment on Red Bull TV uh, As well as the ultimate rush series called human dart. I can think of a few offshoots on that one <laughs> He's uh, also been a part of a global commercial campaign for Tempur-Pedic Which he and I are gonna break in later after the episode because that's what I sleep on he currently provides consulting for a host of clientele and travels to provide content for his sponsors He's got sparkly eyes and some of the gentlest hands of any warrior. I've ever had the fucking pleasure of meeting. Please welcome The purveyor of lessons learned the hard way Andy Stump Single best intro uh, skipping the beginning part that end was the single best uh, intro I've ever had in my entire life <laughs> Well, fucking hey, I'll, I'll take it. We can just end it right now then and be all fucking good I uh, appreciate you coming down here. I know, uh, you know, for for me doing them in person, um, as, as with the podcast that you have, that's done so well, makes a huge fucking difference. And, and thus far, I've been fortunate enough to do that. So I appreciate the hell out of you coming down for it.
3: Yeah, we've been. Uh, I'm sorry it took so long for yeah. one, but yeah, it's hard as hell to do them remotely. If you yeah. don't know the person, there's so yeah. much lost, and yeah. you just end up with uh-huh this nothing
2: yeah mm. that's a great okay yeah. so moving on yeah i mean I, I i know you've been on a bunch i've been on a bunch and that uh i mean to me that's why i'm so adamant about it there's been a, a number of guests that have rogered up to do it that i'm just like you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have somebody on if it's via skype which the internet connection here sucks so fucking yeah. bad that it's not worth doing but uh yeah just the quality of, of the content is so fucking terrible it's hard to hard to get past it but uh, so i appreciate you making time out of your busy busy schedule to come oh, down here. my pleasure man great too. yeah i'm
3: glad we could uh, finally put it together
2: yeah um so just a quick kind of lightning round to get the uh, brain juices flowing i know we've uh, we've already shot the shit a little bit but uh i always like to ask everybody um you know what their morning routine is on a on an on an average day yeah um I am not a fan of waking up early. God bless you. That's fucking finally, finally somebody that's uh, as anti-Jocko in terms of scheduling as I am. However, comma, <laughs>
3: I wake up early because yeah. I have three kids, yeah. and in my house, um, I, I on the days that I do sleep in, I hear my son's alarm going off. My oldest yeah. son is almost fifteen, yeah. and that's the beginning of the day. And if you have kids, you know nothing in your house is quiet Yeah, it's nothing sacred. Your, or sacred or peaceful <laughs> while they're there. So for me, my most productive time, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, is in the morning. So I actually am usually up about 4 or 4.30. Jesus. For a week, I yeah. actually, speaking of Jocko, I woke up and I would take a picture of my watch yeah. and I would post it on Twitter, <laughs> like hashtag up before Jocko, yeah. and his... Uh, fans or followers lost their shit. No shit. I don't know if they realized <laughs> that we knew each other because it was before I'd actually done his podcast. I taking it I, all fucking yeah, personal. They, they did. He, of course, like I could text him and be like, "Hey, man, this is what I'm going to do." it Was not yeah. that big of a deal. Uh, but I get up early because I can be productive. So yeah. I get up. I mean, it's probably not healthy, but the first thing I do is I brew an awesome yeah. cup of coffee or yeah. a pot of coffee. After
2: but, you piss excellence, of
3: course. <laughs> yep, generally at my old age. Yeah, the prostate's getting after you. Yeah. So it's coffee. And then you know most of what I do, it, a lot of it is tied to the digital world. So I yeah. fire up my computer, and I'll sit there and have a cup of coffee. And I try to get through as much of my work as humanly possible because when I hear the alarm go off upstairs for my sons, I just want to be able to I do the best I can. I fail often at shutting it completely off, but I just try to be there for them and get them ready for school, get them off to school, and then I can dive back into that. Yeah. That's
2: my normal morning. So uh, what I'm curious of, because I've recently or, or, you know, in the last year or so kind of stopped eating breakfast. Uh, Is that something that that you don't do really either?
3: I just eat when I'm hungry. I've, you know, so I worked for CrossFit for almost 10 years and it's, uh, I was around so much high quality information from people who, you know, they break your food up into protein, carbohydrate and fat, the, you know, the macronutrient and the zone type stuff. And then I was around guys like Rob Wolf who are more paleocentric, you know, meats and vegetables, nuts and seeds and I the intermittent fasting guys and all of that stuff. And to be honest with you, probably my weakest point is uh, adherence to any structured yeah. diet. So I try to eat clean and I just kind of eat, eat when I'm hungry and I, I also keep in mind also my activity level. Yeah, I do try to eat, uh, eat less when I'm not active. But if I'm hungry for breakfast, I'll eat breakfast. Yeah. If I'm not
2: hungry, I skip it. So, in terms of uh, adhering to a specific meal set, uh, is it how, how would you classify that? In terms of like a, is it a hybrid of paleo keto, or is it just like you just try to eat clean sourced whatever the fuck you're hungry for, and that's it?
3: I try to eat clean. Yeah. Sometimes I tell myself Doritos are clean. You know.
2: <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I wash them. I'm off.
3: not. I'm telling you, I'm not the best example. I can force myself to go. Get into the gym every day and sweat. Like that's one thing I try to do every day is sweat for my mental sanity because yeah. I'll lose yeah. my shit if I yeah. don't. But my week time of the day is like seven to eight o'clock at night. Yeah.
2: That's when the ice cream creeps oh my, in.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, it's dairy, right? It's yeah. mostly milk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's protein. How about a bowl of cereal? Yeah.
3: And it, well, you know what was tough it was working for CrossFit is always being around really high-caliber yeah. athletes. Yeah. And you, their, their, their discipline rivals Jocko and yeah. the way that he talks about discipline. Yeah. And it was tough because I'd sure. constantly be like, I want that ice cream. But if <laughs> yeah. I have it, I'm a bitch. Yeah. So it was actually nice to kind of let the reins off of myself a little bit. So I eat as clean as possible. I eat. Uh, one of the reasons I got into bow hunting is I didn't want to buy meat anymore. Mm-hmm. And I have not bought meat at a store since August when I started last year. Yes. So I have a ton of very, I mean, the wild game is insane, really high protein content. So yeah. pretty much as yeah. in the yeah. morning I'll go to the freezer and kind of look at it and I'll pull that out and then I let that defrost all day long and I pair it with the side. So it's, it's mostly meats and vegetables. And again, like I said, Fritos yeah. were made from potatoes, <laughs> yeah. which is a vegetable yeah. sometimes. <laughs>
2: fucking r- r- yeah, I mean, r- Ruffles are potatoes, Fritos are corn, so fuck it. Occasionally, yeah, no, I'm right yeah. there with you. That's good shit. Um, I mean, it sounds like it's it's uh, relatively in line with with kind of how I've I've come full circle because I've tried just about fucking everything: uh, keto, paleo, fucking zone. You know, you it's name
3: tough it. over the long term.
2: Yeah. I mean to me like that that's what that's what breaks people is is the the attention to detail, yep. you know, day in, day out. It's like it gets to the point where it's a fucking part time job to eat and it's like, Jesus Christ, I got better shit to do, you know. Uh so I, I agree. I mean, I think that's a good way to, to handle fucking business. But um favorite place on earth?
4: Who
3: Man, that's a good question. I think you and I have we've probably been to more places on earth than most. Mm -hmm. Um, My absolute place on earth is probably anywhere that I call home. Uh, It used to be San Diego for a long time, uh, but we just moved up into Northwestern Montana. And I think probably my favorite flights home are the ones that are, you know my favorite flights are the ones that bring me home. The Flathead Valley that we live in is just beautiful, both in the wintertime and the summer. So that's definitely my favorite spot. But if I'm gonna go somewhere, that would be my favorite. It would probably be the Lauterbrunnen Valley in Switzerland.
2: No oh, shit. I've always wanted to go. I, I've spent actually very little time in Europe outside of Holland and Germany just because that's where all the dogs are at yep. that, that I go test and select. But yeah, I've always wanted to go to, to fucking Switzerland. I know there's a shit ton of places. What is it about that place that uh, is magic?
3: For what I like to do, you know, for a lot of people see mountains and they appreciate them for the landscape. Yeah. I see mountains and I appreciate them for the distance that I can travel from them <laughs> in <laughs> my fabric wingsuit. Yeah. In the lot of Valley, the geography, it's I mean, it looks like somebody dr- drug an axe. Uh, just the pointy end of an ax through this valley and the, there's sheer cliffs on each side. It's if yeah. you were a diabetic, it'd be like standing at the candy aisle at the grocery store. And both sides are <laughs> delicious, consumable things that you yeah. want to just stuff your face into. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's a, a number of references that, uh, you know, you could go dirtier than a kid in the candy store. <laughs> I'm teeing uh, it up for you. I'm going to yeah. see how far
3: you're going to go. Well, with I mean, it. I'll <laughs> take it
2: the whole fucking way on, on mic drop, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I can, it's going to be a long episode, but, uh, the, the thing that I, I find fascinating about that is, um, you know, I was never free fall qualified, right? What? And, and, uh, it's funny when I read the, you know, the biggest reason why you got into parachuting was out of jealousy, you know, 100%. you know, cause I was the same way. Like I was in that same, just, it was a shitty deal of being at team three, being where I was at my, my lot in the platoon lottery was yeah. you're still a fucking new guy. Cause I, I did an ARG alpha platoon. So it was a, a you know, a two year workup basically. And, uh, so, even, even after that, I was still competing with guys that had two, three platoons to yep. go to free fall sniper comms. I got uh, hazmat and load planner, which was, you know. So in your I, first platoon? Uh, yeah. Well, in between my first and second. You're lucky. Was, yeah. So, I
3: think I got um,
2: nothing yeah. in my first platoon. I <laughs> yeah, to go sweep the beach, paint lines in the fucking sidewalk. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so because of that, yeah, I, I, I was always at a place wherever I was at to where I was either junior man or junior enough to where I never, I never ended up getting free fall. But my point is, is that seeing some of the fucking wingsuit stuff that that you've done and and some other guys have done, like even me with as many as the dumb hairbrained shit things that I've done, like I still find my palms fucking sweating watching it. You know, I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, it, it really, it's, it's fascinating shit. I mean, it, it, it looks like it's it's got to be a huge rush and it's gnarly as fuck, and we'll get into it. But uh, that, that sounds like a fucking cool place uh, worth worth going to. But it's uh, beautiful, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, any animal, any cut, favorite piece of meat, and before you answer it, it can't be my mom. You got to leave Sandy out of this. All right, She's fair a nice enough, lady. I would go with, uh, and this
3: is a recent one. I I actually hunted for this animal for the first time a few months ago, but I think my Favorite piece of game uh, is axis deer. Axis deer. If I if I prepared it for you properly, which anything beyond medium rare is improper. Yeah. Uh, but if I prepared it for you properly and kind of cut it in a way where you wouldn't be able to tell what type of meat that it was just from taste alone, I don't think most people could identify it. It oh, is sure. so. I'll send you some. I'll overnight you some. It's so delicious. It's so flavorful. And as far as the cut goes, uh, there was a butcher, we were hunting it in Lanai. It's, uh, it was imported from, I think, India, and there's like 30,000 of these things on the island of Lanai with like 2,000 people. Oh, they're shit. everywhere.
2: Oh, shit. And is that the only place they're at?
3: No, there actually is a ton here in Texas as well. It's It looks like uh, like a nice brown body of a deer, but they have these really nice white spots. It's a beautiful For animal. Sure. Yeah. The female ones should be shot on site because their entire job in life is to look, like, look at you and, and then blow your stock that you're on. <laughs> and the male ones are just majestic. They've got these great racks. They look yeah. awesome in velvet. Uh, but honestly, I'll take any cut of Axis deer. It yeah. is unbelievable.
2: Is there a uh, a meat that most people are familiar with that it, that it, you could even remotely compare it to, like that people would mistake it for or might might mistake it for? Pro-
3: uh, man, I'm pro- I don't know if I have enough experience in my palate for that, but I would say probably a very, very expensive filet.
2: Okay. So it's super lean and like almost buttery that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good shit. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to fucking. Yeah, getting I'll some send of that you some shit. for sure. Sweet, and I appreciate it. What is, what is the political issue you find most fucking irritating?
3: How to keep the kids I mean, safe in school.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's on the list. We're goddamn yeah. sure going to get into that. So yeah, you guys a, have
3: had a bad uh, had a bad week.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll dive into that head first here in just a little bit. Uh, favorite band. Whew. Does Britney Spears count as a band? I was going to go with Megan Trainor. You know, <laughs> she's a little more recent, a little more relevant. Uh, I'm a fan of
3: Metallica. Yeah, I like uh, some Five Finger Death Punch when yeah. I'm really just trying to relax, you know, and calm <laughs> down. To go to sleep. Yeah, uh, both of those are pretty solid. Yeah,
2: amen. Um, most embarrassing moment ever. Ever? Oh yeah. boy! I know. I know. There's a, com- a lot of competition for uh, for that, but
3: most embarrassing moment ever. I would say at work, it would be going to the helicopter and really realizing shortly before takeoff, I didn't have my gun. That one kind of sucked. When was that? Uh, how many times has that happened? <coughs> which, which time? <laughs> yeah. uh, that was in Afghanistan. It's pretty awesome. That goes down in, uh, as a bookmark in the old career of things yeah. that didn't go the way that I wanted it to. Uh, personally, the most embarrassing thing, God, I don't even know. I mean, I'm I'm generally, I think I walk around as kind of a buffoon and an idiot, so it's hard to really nail one down.
2: All right. I mean, to me, the uh, showing up without a gun to a gunfight, you know. We
3: weren't in the gunfight yet. I caught it before then.
2: going to one, I guess. Yeah.
3: You know how hard it is to hide that you don't have your gun in front of a bunch of guys
2: who have their guns? I I do, actually. (laughs) Strangely enough.
3: Hey, guys, I got (laughs) to go. The key's in that truck. I need to. I'd be right back.
2: That's fucking great. uh, What's your favorite drink? (sighs) Alcoholic or non uh preferably alcoholic but if there's something that uh
3: i would say alcoholic wise beer wise would be guinness Mm -hmm. it's uh just a strong american brand it's founded in
2: kentucky i believe (laughs) and
3: uh on the harder side of the house uh even though they are one of my sponsors
2: you you know know there's going to be people that didn't realize you're fucking with them that's i can't help them
3: (laughs) sarcasm is my favorite weapon system so (laughs)
5: um
3: Harder side of the house, even though they're one of my sponsors, uh, Kilcliff. it was a recovery drink founded yeah. by uh, yeah. Todd Elric, a team guy. Killcliffe in vodka is lights out good. Yeah. And in, I in feel China. that you can talk yourself into believing that you're recovering while you're drinking. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's, it's basically much, a vitamin and yeah. mineral.
2: So pretty much balances or, or yeah, they, they neutralize. And I vitamins.
3: will say to people who have never had Kilcliff in vodka, I would I would start with the blood orange. It's the yeah. actually called it's the killer Texan is what we called it. Oh, it's Tito's vodka and blood orange Kilcliff. And just be careful because yeah. it will sneak up on you. Because yeah. it's it's little. It tastes. I wouldn't say it tastes like Gatorade because it actually tastes nothing like Gatorade. Uh, but it's delicious and yeah. it goes down really, really smooth on the first one. And yeah. by the time you get to the fourth one, you're in trouble. Yeah.
2: That's my kind of fucking drink. <laughs> That's fucking good shit. I'm, I'm more of a bourbon guy, but I, uh, I damn sure. I mean, I love Killcliff. They've, uh, we, we did a couple of, um, uh, high school football, like little mini two hour buds hell week, like, yeah. you know, leadership things. And, uh, and Kill Cliff sent out a shit ton of, uh, of product. It was fucking awesome. It's it was, a
3: good brand for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They're solid as fuck. All right, so last but not least, is it uh, something that you've not mentioned publicly yet that would surprise most people, or is there fucking anything?
3: Ooh, something that
2: I haven't mentioned. Let's get Andy on a fucking exclusive.
3: Um, you know, one thing that I haven't talked about, and probably because it's recent, would be I personally am struggling with where I consider the SEAL teams to be going and how yeah. a lot of guys are representing themselves in the public perception of the community that both you and I come from. It's,
2: I have a theory about that. We might as well get right into it.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it started, uh, it started recently. Like I said, I've had, and and maybe that, maybe it stems from me putting my own expectations on individuals. The Mm -hmm. problem certainly could be from me having or expecting too much from people, but I, I expect a lot. From the people who come from our community, yeah. but what I will say is that I expect more from myself. I don't hold anybody to a standard that I wouldn't hold myself to. And as of recently, I've had some what I would consider to be poor experiences with people from our from our shared background, and it's put a it's put a bad taste in my mouth. And I've actually found myself really wanting to distance myself from the SEAL community as of late.
2: Uh, um, so what I'm curious, uh, uh, you know, to to further into that. Um what i'm curious of is, is do you find or have you found a a specificity towards a certain generation of guys that you're referring to because to me like and i, I hate to sound like the bitter old guy it's like back in my yeah. day but to me like the 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 community seems different nowadays um you know the 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 guys that i've run into that are that are more recent uh, i would i would say over the last couple of years, that uh, you know that are either active or, or recently active, and, and I would consider kind of a you know the the generation after ours seem different to me. Now maybe it's just because I'm old now and I've I've been out for a fucking decade, and that's not to to relinquish any fucking shitbaggery or or, or mm. a shitbird affiliation with guys from our generation or even older because there's certainly plenty of them. Uh, but to me, there, there seems to be a shift. Do you find that, or, or, or is it more all-encompassing? Well, the experiences
3: that I was referencing were actually from people more of our generation. Yeah. But I think the teams are different. Um, I, don't, I don't see how they couldn't be, because yeah. the world is different. Uh, and when I was a BUDS instructor... I remember having conversations with other BUDS instructors because we were putting through the Mm -hmm. the younger generations coming through. And there certainly was what I perceived at least to be a difference in mentality and attitude from when, when I went through training. But the question that I had for the other instructors was, I wonder if the instructors who put us through, had these same conversations about I'm sure they did. And so I think it's natural. I think as the world shifts and advances in technology and society, I don't think there's any way that the teams can stay what they were in the past. And I think that's actually good. Um, I don't necessarily think that the routes, that the evolution or the expression of that, that they're taking are good, Mm -hmm. but I don't think there's any way that we can, you know, you can't put the genie in the bottle and hold it in there forever. Um, I, I am not as connected to the, the teams as I once was as, you know, as time goes by, you kind of just lose touch a little bit and kind of like uh, what I said when I started, I mean, about the, the issue that most people wouldn't know about or haven't talked about is I'm, I'm kind of slowly just pulling the tentacles back. I'm trying to be less attached to the community and I'm, I'm less interested in trying to stay in touch. But from what I've seen from the, from the younger generation, I saw a lot of the, same stuff that I think defined the community when you and I were in, and mm-hmm. that that you know when we came in, there was no seal ethos, yeah, but I'm pretty sure we still live by one, yeah you know the fact that they put it on paper uh and they make the guys memorize and recite it, which I cannot, I yeah. know that it exists, but the seal teams existed before that ethos, so I think that's a good step as long as they actually live it because you know, repeating bullshit that yeah. you don't actually aspire to be means nothing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, it's like a, a pedophiliac priest that fucking can memorize the fucking Bible like, I don't give a fuck, you know. But Are there those? There's got to be.
3: Okay. <laughs> Again, know. people, I am <laughs> slightly sarcastic, so I'm aware <laughs> I, I, of I heard there was. But it's, yeah. uh, there, so from what I have heard about what is going on in the team's, I don't know if I would describe it as a a crisis. I don't know what level you would put it as, but there are issues. I think recently it started coming out that there are some issues with uh, drugs in the teams. And I have no idea what that level actually sits at now. Mm -hmm. I know that there were issues when I was in. I'm trying to think if I ever saw anybody personally using. I don't think that I did, but I have been at commands where people pissed hot and they were removed. So I know that that's not new. Maybe the level that it's at is new. The desire or the drive for people to seek the public notoriety in the spotlight, I don't think that was happening as much uh, in the beginning of our careers. Yeah. But was there much for them to seek the notoriety for yeah. when we started our career? I don't think there was. So, again, yeah. it's part of the evolution. I don't necessarily agree with the expression of it. But you can't put the genie back in the bottle.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, just like with most things, there's there's examples set uh, and exceptions made at certain levels in terms of chain of command that that set the precedents. And and if you know, if guys, uh, you know, whether it's back in oh four oh five, you know, when you know after uh, you know when Lone Survivor kind of kind of kicked yep. it all off, really um in terms of that that public uh you know new generation because i mean we all grew up reading the dick marcinko rogue warrior fucking vietnam era books and that's that's why a lot of us join i know men why. with
3: green faces yeah which i i try to explain to my kids um yeah. there's this brick and mortar building that i actually had to go find the book at it was known in a library yeah um amazon prime <laughs> didn't exist and they yeah. couldn't just yeah. double tap no and Kindles. there it was but Men with Green Faces, and then there was, uh, yeah, the Rogue Warrior yeah. series, which I'm not going to lie, I thought that was a nonfiction at the time that I read it when I was young. <laughs> Wildly let down when I got into the actual SEAL teams. Yeah. Well, and, uh
2: Point Man with uh, James Patches Watson was another good one. That, uh, I don't know if I read that yeah, one. I read, uh, read that one as well. But I guess my, my point is is that there was there was a huge fucking gap between sustained combat operations that had enough content for, for things uh, of that nature to be written about
3: about right. 30 years if you think about it yeah. Panama Grenada Mogadishu yeah I mean that, a handful of guys yeah. I and mean, and by that I mean literally a handful like yeah. Mogadishu there was 14 team guys there yeah
2: and you know so you got this huge huge uh you know disparity between major you know conflict op- or or combat operations and so uh like you said I think you know a lot of it is is what was there to fucking write and talk about um you know, obviously writing books and, and being kind of in that spotlight is nothing new because there are guys, you know, from the 80s and 90s, yep. i.e. Dick Marcinko uh, and, and company that, that did. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, to me, just like with most things, I mean, I don't care if you're talking about slaughtering animals, raising your fucking kids, training a dog, whatever, like there's a right way and a wrong way to do every fucking thing. You know, and, and I think that's where, where you know, there, there's there been some issues is that uh, there's, there's good ways that reflect positively on the community, uh, don't compromise capabilities, and, uh, you know, and, and overall uh, gleam a, a, a positive spotlight on, on the brotherhood. And, and to me, you know, that's a, a good fucking start. You know? Well, I think uh, the
3: intent matters. Yeah. Well, what's your intent behind publishing something, anything, a podcast, a blog, a mm-hmm. book? Um, I don't think I'll ever go down the road of writing a book, I think mostly because I think my capabilities would end at a
1: coloring book, which I have considered, by the way. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. (laughs) Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello.
0: Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs cryptids conspiracies and the paranormal real people real encounters so come with us on the journey into the unknown UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps I'll see you soon
3: an adult coloring book the history of the Navy SEALs lots of red it's gonna be amazing (laughs) but what i always try to say is that i do believe that the individual experiences that you get throughout a career they're yours Mm -hmm. and you can do with them what you want to do with them Uh, some people choose to publish them and i think the intent behind that matters i think if your intent is to seek fame and notoriety and money for yourself i'll put a moral judgment on that in a minute because i definitely certainly inherently have a moral judgment of that and then there's the example I'm going to use is Jocko. Jocko's books on leadership, there's now, I know one of them is out, uh, Extreme Ownership, and I, th- I don't know if his second book, The Dichotomy of Leadership, is out, but he and Leif Babin wrote mm-hmm. those books. And when I read that book, I don't hear somebody beating their chest. I don't hear somebody who is telling war stories about themselves. What I see is an intent to pass on lessons learned. What I see is an intent to educate. Is there money that can be gained from the publishing of those books? Absolutely, and- yeah. His experiences are his to do what he wants, his and Leif's. The, the book is both of theirs, not just Jocko's. But I see a, a, just a, a chasm of difference between an intent to educate and pass on the legacy because, that, it, I mean, really, what is passing on the lessons learned? That's passing on the legacy. Mm-hmm. That's passing on the things that the guys who served in that 30-year gap of sustained combat, I mean, if you think about who put us through Buds, yeah, they didn't see any combat. Mm-hmm. Why do we have the same moral compass inside of the community and the drive and the desire to hu- uphold what a lot of people call the brotherhood. I would say not as many people live that brotherhood is like to call it a brotherhood, but we got that compass orientation from people who never saw combat yeah. and they passed on the legacy. Yeah. I have no problem with people who have the intent of honoring and educating that that doesn't bother me. I am bothered by people who are pursuing Purely monetary gain for themselves, purely notoriety and fame. Especially when they start deviating from the truth. Mm-hmm. If their intent is to raise their own star, I start having an issue because the reality is their fucking career and that trident. It's not theirs. Yeah. The experiences from their career. I take that back. Their career is theirs, but the community is not. Yeah. We rent our time in the SEAL teams, and in my opinion, your goal should be to make it a percentage point better than the day that you got it but you don't own it yeah and they are taking ownership over something that i don't believe that they own
2: i I mean to me i guess the where where i think some people especially outside of the community and and for that matter fuck even inside of it you know is to me like who who dictates that a like you know where where do you draw the line from using your experiences and training to make a living you know, which, which ultimately like it, to me, it's, there, there's an element of scalability that exists with that. Mm-hmm. Is that like on the one extreme end of the spectrum, you could say, Hey, you're not even allowed to put it on a fucking resume because if you get hired, well then, then, you know, to me, it, granted it's scaled way the fuck down, but there's an element of, of you're still making a living off of the fact that you were a seal, mm-hmm. you know, uh, now well, it's a, it's a
3: title that you're never going to get rid of.
2: Right you know so so to me like i think that the tough part uh, to to figure out is and again i think it boils down to like there's a right and a wrong way to do everything is is that you know at at some point you know yeah you're you're crossing over into where you know if you're willing to lie about your experiences uh, misrepresent fucking truths or half truths or, or things about the community that that don't exist or they're, or, or they're,
3: appropriate other people's experiences yeah, as your own yeah
2: absolutely i mean a hundred fucking percent and there's a number a number of examples of that yep and, and to me like that for from my perspective as as somebody who's written uh two books you know, three if you count you know the the second one being a a young adult adaptation of the first um, you know, and I'm happy to, to get into my reasons as to why, but you know, to me, the, you know, that, that's where, where, at least from my perspective, that, that's where like, I would draw the line in the sand is that you know, we all come from a background of, of those experiences help a lot of guys get hired or open a lot of doors that wouldn't normally exist had you not been a SEAL, uh, but, but taking advantage of them to the point where now you're, you're misrepresenting things and lying about things or, or representing stories that aren't yours uh, as your own. Then yeah, for a hundred percent sure. I mean, I know we could spend fucking three hours talking about just that alone, but
3: uh I would say that's pro I mean, I don't I don't know where i mean I guess right and wrong would be subjective. For me personally, and and I guess for anybody who is listening to this, anything that I say is my opinion alone, right? I speak yeah, for Andy, you yeah. speak for my we do yeah. not speak for the SEAL teams, but I'll certainly give you my opinion on them. Yeah. In my opinion, I would say the right and wrong is it's it's Starts and stops with the truth. You yeah. know, when you start deviating from the truth, yeah. in my opinion, one—if you can—I mean, I'm sure when you wrote your books, you probably felt the burden of integrity and honesty.
2: Oh, ab- absolutely, and, and having multiple people, you know, read them to make sure, like, hey, you know, because some some of the the things that I talk about are—I mean, fuck, some of them are my childhood. Some's going through buds. It's it's been a long time. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, the last fucking thing I, I would want to do is misrepresent something or, or write something that was wrong. And so, yeah, I mean, I had a, a fuck ton of people read it to make sure that that didn't happen. Whereas I know for a fact there are people that didn't have anybody read their shit, you know, and, yeah. and there's a lot of misrepresentations, but.
3: Well, if they had had them read their stuff. Yeah. There might've been an issue. Yeah. I, I think we're beholden to the community that we come from. Uh, and you and I count, I mean, I don't really consider myself to be a public with figure at all, but people know me as a seal yeah. and i feel responsible to the community and i'm if, if people say negative things about me or am i representing myself or misrepresenting myself i mean i'll adjust my behavior i haven't heard it yet yeah. you know i try to be honest and open and the, probably the first things i'll ever tell you about are the things that i fucked up because yeah. i did more of those than things that are correct yeah but i think you have to be that way yeah and you have to if a massive portion of the community is pointing at somebody and saying that's not right that's not true yeah
2: no I, know, it, it has meaning yeah no absolutely i mean to me like the the classic 80 20 rule is that you know there's going to be 10% of guys that don't give a fuck what you do there's going to be 10% of guys that if if your name is is attached to the word seal on the internet whatsoever, fucking yeah. ever they're going to motherfuck you for it it's that 80% middle of the road community that the meat and potatoes of the community is that if if you know the, the overwhelming majority of those guys are like, yeah, you know what, this fucking guy's doing it right, then chances are you're yeah. fucking doing it right. You know. And, and uh, unfortunately, I, I agree, there's some that, uh, that don't fall into that fucking category. But like I said, I mean, shit, we could, we could go on and on about it. But uh, What I will say is I think one of the
3: things the SEAL teams is the least, it's not that they're the least capable of doing, it's one of the things that they're the worst at is policing their own. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know as well as I do you could easily associate the terms caddy and bitchy yeah. to the SEAL teams. Yeah. We are a, I mean, God help you if there's blood in the water because yeah. your, your peers and your friends and your loved ones will consume you alive. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Because they love you. Yeah. And we're really good at talking shit behind closed doors and I think we do a poor job as a community. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. SOCOM and even JSOC to a degree could go hold a press conference. They could go get a national stage and microphone and they could clear the air, yeah. But they don't, yeah. And I think it's because it. They feel my suspicion is that it's. They feel that it would negatively represent the SEAL teams, yeah. Whereas in my current opinion, I think it would be the beginning of the
2: rebuilding of the integrity in the public face. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, a fantastic point and one that uh, that I certainly didn't think of. But, um, you know, on that, I to to your point of doing a a poor job, I I would take it a step further and say. I think we do a, a as a community a piss poor job of being consistent in how we police our own because there are times where where guys are made a fucking vigorous goddamn example of, yeah. and then there's other times where it's well, I mean, he's a fucking good like it just gets brushed under the fucking rug, you know. And to me, that's bullshit. Like, if there's one thing I can tell you that I've gleaned from from training dogs is that consistency is fucking everything.
3: Well, a standard you know? that blurry that is blurry uh, is very hard. It's not a standard. Yeah. It's, it's, especially yeah. when the, it's the metrodome swings back and forth and yeah. yeah it's the same thing as discipline with kids
2: yeah if yeah, it's either right or it's wrong correct no
3: fucking greater. it can't be right on yeah. monday and yeah. and wrong on wednesday because yeah. you're just going to sit there with a yeah. dude looking at you with apple yeah. scroll wheels in his eyes yeah. it can't
2: it can't be okay when i don't feel like getting in your ass about yeah. it you know and uh yeah so i mean that's that, uh, that that's part of it but uh no it's good uh, good shit so and and we'll come back to some uh, some uh, team community stuff here. I know you got a lot of stuff written yeah. down. I got, I got uh, multiple pages. So. I have
3: no notes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll get you a notebook oh. here and a fucking crayon and a napkin. I told uh, you, coloring book. Yeah, All you're going to get stick figures yeah, we'll do doing it. inappropriate things. Nothing wrong with that. All right, so going just uh, kind of want to chronologically go through you growing up just a little bit. Sure. Um, in terms of growing up in, in northern california like first of all what the fuck right nor cal you can't,
3: you can't pick where you're born
2: i, I mean but like yeah. h- how do you come from northern california is, is i guess what what my question is is what what was that like in terms of family dynamic politics growing up siblings influences from your parents what kind of kind of shake us through that well so i was born and raised in
3: santa cruz for all but four years of the the 18 i lived before actually leaving for boot camp Santa Cruz is an interesting ecosystem. Yeah, I mean there are left-leaning towns, and I don't give a shit about people who are on the left or the right. I really don't care. Live your life, enjoy your life, just appreciate what it takes to be able to do that. So Santa Cruz, I don't think it's any stretch to say that it's left. Um, it's very liberal. It's so far left, in my opinion, that somehow it ends up on the right. There's <laughs> yeah. no. It's not conservative by yeah. any stretch, but they're just they're just full tilt yeah. to the left, which yeah. is which it makes it pretty interesting to grow up in. Yeah. I mean, it was hard to get in trouble in that town, and my family was pretty well established. I yeah. mean, my grandfather built two of the high schools in the town. as was one of the first masonry companies in Santa Cruz, which he then passed that skill on to my father. My grandfather was in the Navy. My father was in the Navy. My mother's side of the house was, she was a military brat as well from the Army. Her mother enlisted in the Navy uh, in the nurse corps and mm-hmm. got such... Uh, bad post-traumatic stress from treating the soldiers that were coming back from World War II that she actually got discharged from the Navy. Oh, shit. Took some time off and went back in and lied about her previous service and joined the Army Nursing Corps and went back and did the exact same job.
6: God
2: damn.
3: Her husband was uh, uh, somewhere in the logistical supply chain. He was an officer. So, I mean, I have military on both sides. Yeah. Having said that, I, I truly think that my parents' absolute last desire for me would be to have continued down that path. I mean, public school system, except for two years of uh, private school, when I was in middle school, a kid at my middle school hung himself in his closet and it freaked my parents out. And so they put me into a private school for, I think it was seventh and eighth grade, maybe half of a year in sixth grade as well, but it was a short period of time, a couple of years, and then right back into the public school system. Totally average athlete, Baseball and water polo. Um, did junior lifeguards. It was a beach town. You know, mm. I did junior lifeguards and just, and did that. And I worked for my father in the summer times. I started working for him when I was either 10 or 11. He paid me about a dollar fifty an hour, which I still give him shit Seven. about. Yeah. I mean, every, I mean, he's probably more of a smart ass than I am. Cause I'll be like, dude, how did, how did you possibly pay me a $1.50? He's like, you were only worth a buck. <laughs> <laughs> so he throws it right back in my face. Yeah. I wonder where I get it from. But, uh, I think that job site so from a political perspective there I mean there was no there were no topics that were off-limits we yeah. could you know I, had, I have a sister we really didn't get along well uh, growing up and I would say only recently in probably the last five or six years we really connected more and become more of a family probably started when she started having kids as well it just you know yeah. life's yeah yeah do you have brothers uh, a brother or a sister you know the deal sometimes you don't get along that well yeah. I see it in my own kids my middle son and my, uh, my youngest daughter and I think where I learned a lot of the lessons and got a lot of my drive was working on construction sites at a young age. I mean, at 12 years old, I was working a quickie saw, cutting bricks and blocks and yeah. moving and, and making concrete. And I remember when I was, I think when I turned 13, my dad was like, all right, this summer you're learning how to use a jackhammer. It's two <laughs> rules. One, don't drop it off the roof. And two... <laughs> don't tell your mother. (laughs) And I would just stand on top of chimneys because the earthquake hit in 89, just destroyed Santa Cruz from a masonry perspective. So we were still back in, when I left for the Navy in 96, we were still fixing uh, damage from the earthquake. So I would go to school and every summer it was, I was working. I've had a job since I was 11 years old. And I remember coming back from a particular job I don't remember the job, but I remember the drive. We were driving on my dad's work uh, truck from Aptos, California, which is south of uh, Santa Cruz by 20 miles, driving into Santa Cruz. And my dad made a comment about SEALs. It was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And he wasn't a SEAL himself, but he worked with SEALs in Vietnam. He was on, you know, the Mark 5s, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, he was on the Mark 1s. No shit. Yeah, he had two brown water navy. Huh? Yeah,
3: totally. Yeah. He had uh, two fifty cows, some foot pedals, and just two triggers of fun. Yeah,
2: fucking. Uh,
3: right. I don't know if he was having fun because he <laughs> he had some issues. We actually yeah. the four years that we moved away from uh, Santa Cruz. Uh, my mom gave him an ultimatum and said, you need to you need to fix your fucking head or oh, sure. I'm going to leave you. So we went to Missoula, Montana, of all places, um, and now we moved back to Montana. Those two are not connected, but it's interesting how the world-
2: Yeah, brought you back.
3: Comes back, and he went some, through some very intensive counseling, and I was too young to really remember it, uh, but I'm old enough to remember holes in the doors, yeah. and I'm old enough to remember my dad in his underwear in the backyard just screaming at nothing. Oh shit. Sure. And I didn't put those two together until a long time after, and it, it didn't. It doesn't scarred me in any way, but I remember it.
2: Was there a, not to interrupt, but was yeah. there an element uh, of that being brought out on you guys, or was it all in not it at all? all. It
3: was. I mean, was to be honest with you, I didn't realize it. I think until I saw some of it in myself. Yeah, and oh, shit. and. Uh, yeah, never never an issue. I mean, my my parents were incredibly loving, and yeah. they tried to enable us to pursue our passions, whatever it may be, for both my sister and I, and that is something that I've, I've passed on to my kids as well. So he, he brought up SEALs, and I mean, you you and I know this narrative so well. It becomes this magnetizing pole, like, It consumes you. It consumes you, yeah. and people hear it, and they, and they go, how do you, what? What do you mean you wanted to be a SEAL since you were yeah. 11? And I... Still to this day, I definitely then didn't have the vocabulary. Yeah. It could be argued I don't have a better vocabulary <laughs> now. I definitely don't have a more uh, enhanced mental state. Yeah. But it just hooked me. Yeah. As, as I'm sure people who go into the Army SF world, it hooks them. Yeah. And you know, whatever it hooks you at that age, it hooks you. And that's what it was for me. And that's all I could think about. That's all I thought of. That's all I wanted to do. I never took my SATs. I never studied for college. I never applied for college, which in hindsight was a terrible plan. Yeah. Uh, and brought home a permission slip, essentially, when I was 17 from the Navy recruiter. and Brought it, sat it down with my parents. I was like, this is what I want to do. Wasn't a shock to them. Yeah. I mean, it's I had a freaking seal flag yeah. on my wall since yeah. I was like 12. Yeah. Uh, and they signed it. No oh, shit. They didn't try to talk me out of it. Yeah. They, the Navy recruiter sat with them. They signed it. And they didn't stand in my way. Even though I know for a fact that it's the last thing on Earth that they wanted me to do, and in that moment I didn't realize I was just satisfying a recruiter billet because you still have to be eighteen to go to boot camp. But the yeah. recruiter had a good month that month, yeah. so I signed in the delayed entry program. And while everybody else was getting ready to celebrate their summer from graduating high school, I left for boot camp, yeah. and the uh, and the journey begins. So how I came out of that environment in Santa Cruz, I mean. I don't know. I, I think the people that you surround yourself with, or the people that raise you, are much more important than the environment that they raise you in. Outside of that ecosystem that they can control.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, a hundred fucking percent is that. You know, one of the things that I I ask a lot of similar questions uh, for that same reason is that all the guests that come on here. Uh, you know, regardless of where they grew up, the, the, the common uh, thread and, and recurring theme that I find with every single one of them is, is that exact thing. And, and I had the exact same experience with my parents is that extremely loving, supportive of whatever, like, I don't care. You want to be a fucking male stripper? Fine. Be the best fucking male stripper out there. Like, I
3: don't know if they would have gotten on board that far,
2: I, I, but I like where I, your parents' I, I, heads are at. I, 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 George and Sandy, <laughs> shout out to you guys. That, that, that phase I went through of yeah. talking about being a Chippendales dancer. Nope. Uh, but you know, but that's that's it. I mean, like like everybody's parents were, you know, were kind of cut from that same cloth of of, of being, uh, you know, that involved in their in their kids' lives and 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 uh, you know, fostering a a mentality in them. You know, not just here's what you need. Here's your fucking iPad, which you know didn't exist back then. But the, but the same, uh, you know, parallel in terms of just you know redirecting them to something else. Like they gave a fuck. You know and 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 agreed like whether it's i mean i've had guests from from all over the fucking place at this point and and uh and that that seems to be a recurring theme with all of them which uh which i don't find interesting frankly um it's because you were surrounded
3: by it for so long
2: well that and and you know the the parallels that i draw from from dogs um and, and and or the parallels that exist between training dogs raising dogs breeding dogs the genetic theory behind how to replicate certain uh pre um, genetic predispositions that we're looking for in, in specific working traits it's all the exact same shit is that you know you're you're when you're raising puppies and when you're breeding them and, and things of that nature the, the same things that you do to um not not inhibit certain things and to channel and uh, magnify and encourage other working traits by by specifically setting them up for for certain things uh exist in the exact same parameters it's it's obviously different because the what you're going for in a dog is very specific to what it's going to be doing in a, in a working capacity mm-hmm. but how you get that you know eight week old puppy to a two-year-old motherfucker in a, in a good way uh is done very very similarly to raising children properly you know uh, it's consistency it's black and black and white in terms of what your expectations are baby stepping your criteria up it's all the exact same stuff it's just you know the medium is a little different but so again like I, I don't find it even really interesting or fascinating that uh, that there's those parallels and similarities between the guests that I have that are all worth having on here what I do think is important is for everybody listening is to fucking understand that and stop raising a bunch of little fucking dipshits but uh, we're gonna rest assured we're gonna get into into child rearing here in a little bit but uh, that's, a, that's neat to hear. Uh, one one uh, other question I did have is in terms of politics. I know for me, like I didn't give a fuck about politics growing up. I do now. Uh, yeah. Did that play any role in your childhood? Did you even pay attention to it? I honestly can't think of a single time
3: where I gave it a second thought. Yeah, yeah I really yeah, I mean,
2: can't. Yeah, I mean, I was the same way. I, th- I think a lot of kids are. But uh, when I see like these ten-year-olds on fucking. On TV like spouting off fucking political shit I'm just like I, you know I don't know if that like to me that seems like a recipe for fucking disaster but
3: it concerns me in two ways it concerns me for the kid because they don't realize they're being manipulated by somebody who understands more yeah. and then it concerns me for the people who are doing the manipulation because yeah. I want to run into them in a very very dark alley yeah with a, with a fucking vehicle the, or a bat yeah. i was thinking more of a bat but i yeah. like where your head's at go, go full school <laughs> go uh, go old
2: school and maybe maybe fucking shank them who knows but uh yeah i mean to me the what i worry about is, is the is the after effect like i mean because to me that's that's conditioning and brainwashing the same way uh you know muslim schools do and, and even christian academies here for that matter um you know but there's elements of um of that conditioning that that's permanent, you know, I mean, when, when, yeah. when it's learned at that age, like that's, that's pretty tough to get rid of, but, um, I'm it,
3: sure the same parallels exist there with, uh,
2: dogs as well too. Yeah. And, in in a good way in that, you know, you're essentially using that to your advantage. You know, if I want the dog to, to be basically neutral towards gunfire, I'm going to expose them to it at an early age. Whereas, you know, in that first six to eight months, as an example, like that's kind of your, your really big window of opportunity from an exposure standpoint, both environmentally, Sociability, temperament wise, uh, exposing them to all these different stimuli that, that, you know, later on when they're older and more mentally mature and can handle more stress and, and more chaotic environments, but they, they've been exposed to fractions of that prior to that. And, and again, it's all, it's all a scaling thing is that you're, you're baby stepping or scaling your way up from, uh, you know, very, very small uh, and short bursts of, of exposure to those things. And then building on that, whether it's you know as bite work as an example, because that's one of the things that I think people find most uh, interesting, is that you know you see a three-year-old Finnish dog that's you know on a bicep, you know molar deep in a bicep, and, and getting picked up by his skin and stuffed in fucking trash cans and thrown against the wall, and you know the camel clutch over his fucking back, and and you know sprayed water on him and all these crazy things that people are like holy shit like that's a bad motherfucker like yes it is but but he's been brought up yeah just you don't like, do that on day one yeah just, just like an <laughs> mma fighter but it starts out with here's a fucking dish towel the yeah. puppy grabs it and i just tap his head and tap his ribs and make some noise and lift him up and, and it's and it's all just a little fucking game where we're using his prey drive to carry him through and things of that nature and then you're scaling it up but yeah i mean so the, the, I guess the irony is, is that you know, it, it just like with everything, it's a double edged sword. Like you know, with kids, because there's logic and reason behind it, is that you know, a lot of times kids are manipulated in that way, and and uh, and that's a fucking detriment. Whereas when it comes to to working animals, whether you're talking fucking thoroughbreds or dairy cattle or working dogs or whatever, is that you know, you use those certain conditioning techniques to to your advantage. You know, but
3: yeah, I give the kids, uh, you know, a good example would be the the leaders of the March for our lives movement. Right. And in this moment, only person's name I can remember is David Hogg. And mm-hmm. not that he's the the leader, but he's the name that I can remember. Yeah, He says some dumb shit mm-hmm. and I give him some latitude because he's a kid. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have that many laps around the sun. He's not getting on that stage by himself. And the people who are enabling and pushing that, I don't give them any latitude yeah. because they know better.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. And, and to me, the, um, the thing that I think uh you know is 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 the the shittiest part of that is that he's just old and and people like him are just old enough to think that it's them yeah you know like that like at least a ten year old like is just kind of being yeah. spoon fed and and whatever I mean not that it makes it right but like to me the dangerous part about guys like like uh, hogg is that you know he's gonna grow up to be you know a, a prominent figure I have no doubt politically you know that's gonna be a real a real fucking twisted. Uh, mentality to uh you know to deal with but i think you know from a from a kind of a theoretical standpoint the um those elements exist in a lot of different areas of our of our society that that one of the things that i find irritating politically is because i'm kind of in the same boat like left right i don't give a fuck i don't really consider myself a conservative necessarily uh, I probably align with uh, right wing conservatives on more issues than I do on left wing, but there's enough that I don't to where I, I wouldn't consider myself one, but there's elements of that in, you know, on, on the right and the, on the left and LGBT communities. I mean, there, there's a lot of elements of that where, where kids are, are being conditioned, you know, whether it's, I mean, you see it in, in, uh, you know, with uh, illegal immigration issues, same thing. And you see kids with signs with fucking swear words and shit on them. Um, you know, being conditioned for all that same kind of stuff, and uh, you know, again, for parents out there, stop using your kid like a fucking puppet, right? Um, Concur. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> all right, so uh, I think we're about the same age then, because you you graduated '96 and joined the Navy, right? Yeah, I'm so, 40. Yeah, I'm th- I'll, I'll be 40 this uh, this summer, but um, you look way younger than I do. But
3: I was going to say the same thing, yeah, but I didn't want to yeah, upset you. Yeah, uh, here's you the might thing. leash. One of your dogs on yeah, the <laughs> here Well,
2: that's later. We'll, we'll get that on uh, perfect on, on YouTube, but. Uh, yeah i don't know how you do it with three kids i have two kids and uh i don't know how i do either yeah either. <laughs> and they, they, make, they make me look like i'm fucking 50 but um but anyway so we both jo- uh joined graduated in 96 joined the yep. navy uh did you go to a school i did what uh, because
3: it was requirements because at that time. In, in the current from my understanding i kind of left when they were redoing this pipeline but now buds is an a school yeah uh i you know took the same watched the same shitty yeah. video on probably a VHS tape on like yeah. the second week of boot camp yeah. it's like a grainy sdv coming through the water yeah,
2: yeah. and, and the, uh, yeah, the, geez the the magnum pi is fast and oh, fucking flight suits
3: terrible and they're like oh yeah. raise your hand if you want to try out well i was there waiting for them to play that video i was yeah. totally let down by it but i raised my hand and i mean you can attest to this that physical test to get a slot at buds during that time
2: period does the, not represent
3: the only yeah. word that could be used to describe it as pathetic yeah it's yeah. a run of a not far distance a swim of an even shorter distance yeah push-ups pull-ups sit-ups yeah and none of those physical activities those last three we're not talking 50 pull-ups i think it was six
2: six yeah yeah i mean it's it's not representative of of what the training is going to be not even fucking close which
3: i'm totally fine with (laughs) um having gone through it and then having applied it to others i'm completely fine with that i like the look of surprise on day one (laughs) uh But, you know, so then to get a billet because of the attrition rate, you know, it's probably not a good idea to have hundreds of young men who had one particular dream not achieve it and not have a job to do. I'm pretty sure they found that out by... Living that exact scenario yeah. and having hundreds of kids yeah. who were probably what I would call liberty risks. Yeah. So you have to pick a school or you had to pick a school when you and I both joined. I literally looked at the piece of paper based on which one was the longest and yeah. picked OSA school. Oh, which is radar scope operator. I've yeah. never seen one. Yeah. But I've graduated the school. Yeah.
2: Did you pick did you pick uh, because it was the longest just to give you the little bit of the shortest. Oh, the shortest. I got of a little I mean, I a little thought like like little was like fucking three weeks or some stupid shit. I, but,
3: but you know, it's all dependent on how manned up the school yeah, were there yeah. were the choices so i went to the uh damneck
2: navy yeah. base because well, i was an is i was there yeah the same, you were same at building, the same fucking time yeah.
3: i had no idea what that yeah. command was on the northern side of the yeah. uh beach yeah. no clue whatsoever just yeah. random gunfire occasionally yeah. and learned about a radar scope that i've never physically seen in yeah. my life
2: yeah, i mean it's fucking <laughs> the, the uh the similarities between our our yeah. uh, you know, experiences joining the Navy are, are fucking uncanny. It's it's pretty priceless.
3: Well, anybody who joined in our era is going to have one that's very similar. Yeah.
2: Yep. No. No. No fucking two ways about it. Um. All right. So you go through OSA uh, school, you go to buds, and you were in what two twelve? Two twelve. Yeah. I started two fourteen, uh, so I'm a new guy. Yep. You
3: graduated two fifteen though, right? You
2: were our hoo class. That's right, bitch. Well, but I, (laughs) I wasn't your bitch then. Uh, The uh, I was two. We were two elevens because I was two fourteen. So two fifteen was for
3: the the people who are completely lost now. um, So I was the hoo class for class two o nine, and all that means is you go to their graduation and you basically yell at the very end of it. Yeah, Yeah, hoo
2: class, whatever the fuck, and then they tell you to get wet and And suck, and you go get your dick kicked
3: in like you do every
2: day in buds. Yeah. Yep. Um. All right. So you went to Team Five, mm-hmm. spent a fair bit of time there, and then two you, platoons there. Yep. Two platoons at Team Five. Um, and then you screened to go to to Dam yep. you Neck. Know, which is SEAL Team Six. For those that uh, that don't know that, one of the things I'm curious of because I never went there mm-hmm. um, is the experience of Dam Neck versus the regular teams. They're, you know, from my perspective of seeing some guys that I was fairly tight with at Team Three, and then and then went on, and, and kind of the the difference in mentality and and how they they changed uh, and their perception of the regular teams. What what was that experience like for you? And did you notice that same kind of thing, or, or what? What's your take on that?
3: Whew. I mean, there's a lot of layers to that question. Um, you know, first, I can only speak about it in the time period that I went through. But again, I'm detached from the SEAL teams and. Extremely detached from that command. Uh, I would I would wager that it is almost nothing like when I was there. I mean, they have a new compound, a new facility, all of that stuff. Um, so I screened in September. No, I screened in October of 2001. Okay. There were some significant events in September yeah. of 2001.
2: I don't remember. I, I, was, I think I was high that month. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, I knew that I wanted to screen... Pre nine eleven, it was yeah. my second uh, deployment, and pre nine eleven deployments are vastly different than post nine eleven deployments. Both of them, you train for eighteen months and you deploy for six. My first deployment at SEAL Team Five was the the Kadena Air Force Base in Japan. Yeah, You know, you basically train to become ready in case the nation needs you anywhere in the world if you happen to be geographically close. And then they didn't. And so I drank. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they did need me, I might have drank anyway as soon as we were done. Uh, because that is what I was raised on in the SEAL teams was a combination of Jägermeister and probably vodka. Uh, not the healthiest thing. Probably tailors uh, some of my drinking habits now, but that's a different story for a different day. So, first one was at Kadena Air Force Base. Second one, we come back. The geographic, geopolitical world was largely the same. Uh, and I deployed to Guam, another hotspot of insurgent activity. Yeah, got that right. And but on that deployment, I knew, I knew that I wanted to screen to go to development group. And one thing that is important, I think, to bring up is pre nine eleven, maybe even pre. 2005, 2006, even inside of the SEAL teams, I would say there wasn't that much known about development group. Because it's in Virginia, and if you are a West Coast uh, SEAL, like we were, to go to selection, you uproot your family. You you do a PCS move, or what's known as a permanent change of duty station. And if you don't make it through selection, what I found, at least, for the guys that I knew, they didn't come back. So there's not a lot of beta on a what you're getting into yeah. and b what mm-hmm. happens after selection if you make it through because i mean they're on a different coast yeah and you know as well as i do if you're a west coast team guy you don't see the east coast team guys that often yeah because they're not as good as us it's not like you're going to talk to them anyway <laughs> i'm sure the black east, hole. yeah i'm sure the east coast guys say the same stuff yeah. um you know absent an enemy the seal teams will fight each other that's what yeah. we're the best at
2: and even during sometimes sometimes
3: during <laughs> so i didn't I had an idea of what I thought it was gonna be. And from what I had understood, I didn't. when I joined the Navy, I didn't know it existed. Yeah. When I was at OSA school, I literally didn't know it was a mile down the road. I had no idea. And I, I think one of the reasons that I wanted to be a SEAL, and part of the reasons that it was a draw for me, was because of the fact people told me, there's no way you can do this. Because yeah. of the fact that it was hard. Uh, and I wanted to test myself. When I first started hearing about Development Group, to me, it seemed like the next logical step. And that only applies to me. A lot of guys in the community have no desire to go. And guess what? They're as good, if not exponentially better SEALs than I am. I don't think that having gone through selection, whether you make it or not, or especially whether you do make it, I don't think it's a, it's not a metric as to, certainly not a metric that you should use to gauge your career. It's just, it's different. But to me, it seemed like the natural Uh, next step and the natural next progression the biggest difference that i noticed and i noticed it immediately was the access to budget and what the access to budget will bring to you i got issued more gear on my first day there than i ever did in the history of my seal career before then and after combined yeah and it wasn't used gear everything was in the plastic wrapper. It was all of the stuff that we wish we would have had at the conventional teams that we didn't have because of the budget. And with the budget comes better facilities, more access to weapons, to newer weapons, to technology. And part of the charter development group is to test, develop, and evaluate equipment. So you get a lot of new high-speed stuff.
0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website
4: for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
3: If I look at it objectively, it gives you the opportunity to thumb your nose at the the white soft teams Mm. or the conventional SEAL teams. Uh, JSOC would be considered the black side of the house. White soft would be considered the SOCOM versus JCOM split. The opportunity exists. If you have that inside of you as a person and you want to thumb your nose at people, you're going to take that opportunity while you're there. If you don't and it's a job and you try to stay grounded in who you are and not what you do, all it is, is an enhancement of what you were doing before. It is different than the conventional teams. You are, at a regular SEAL teams, I would definitely describe you as a jack of all trades, a master of none, and you know this as well as I do. I mean, we would go and we would do... Every fucking thing. Oh my God, OTB, right? Over the beach, OTH, over the horizon. We'd do it for weeks, driving Zodiacs with outboard motors over the horizon for no goddamn reason whatsoever, yeah. thrown up in the ocean, Pissing in your dry suit because you forgot it was a dry suit instead of a (laughs) wetsuit. All the fun things that happen when you spend an extended period of time in the water. Uh, Cold weather training in Alaska. Land navigation. Weapons skills. CQB. CQC. Whatever the hell the acronym is these days. Diving. Diving. Jumping. And you would just go training block to training block to training block. And you'd actually get, I'd say you get really good at a lot of those things. Like the end of a two-week OTB, OTH block. You're balls. I mean, like you're you're, yeah. celestially navigating, you know, compass navigating. Remember, we were using GPSs that were four times the size of your hat, yeah. basically the size of the flag sitting <laughs> over our left shoulder or my left, or right. And but then it was on to the next skill. Yeah. and So you're constantly flirting with currency and competency. At development group, yeah, you could probably do all those things, but it's not your main job. Yeah. Your main job is to figure out a way to get to the threshold of the door, and then own what's on the other side of the threshold. It's much more kinetically focused, in my opinion. That was my experience when I was there. We spent almost every day in the kill house, refining our craft, mastering the trade. Uh, You know, the kill house was amazing, movable walls, multi-story, they could turn all the lights off, 360 degree ballistic shooting. Uh, we had access to the TF-160th, right? Again, budget, amazing helicopters and even more amazing pilots. And we would do vehicle interdictions. We would do every different variation of a target set that you could ever possibly want to do as a SEAL over and over and over again. And you just don't have the access and ability to focus at that level at a conventional team. You don't because you're responsible for so much more. So then when it comes to being overseas, you are, I would say, much more focused on that kinetic aspect because that's what your sweet spot is. And then that's what the ground force commanders and the battle space owners expect of you. The conventional forces are inherently kinetic. If you work in the special operations realm and every military branch has a special operations realm, it's, you know, your ODA guys, your green berets, your Rangers, your MARSOC, Air Force PJ, CCT. They have a kinetic focus to their job. The JSOC aspect is more kinetically focused and your job terminates in more of those type of activities. That was the biggest difference. There's a difference in capability because there's a difference in currency. It's the same people. They wear the same uniform. If I took a doctor and I allowed him to operate or practice operating one day out of 30, he would not be as current and capable as a guy who did it 30 days out of 30. That's it. That's really the only difference. It can lull you. And to yeah. want to thumb your nose at the people who are your peers, it yeah. can lull you into being an asshole. Yeah, some people take that opportunity; some don't.
2: Yeah, one of the things that, that uh, I noticed, I guess, uh, in addition to everything that you just outlined, is one of the one of the things that I think hamstrings and holds back the regular SEAL teams is the is the reset button of. Every time you come yeah. back, is that you're getting a fresh batch of fucking retard[s] from buds that that are bringing you back to that ground zero level. Whereas at them, that, like guys, at least have a couple of platoons under their belt. You know, so I mean, there so, is to me, that, that. That's yeah. an element too that that I think plays a fucking pretty significant role. But
3: it does. And for people who are again might be getting lost at a conventional team, you live on a basically a 24 month cycle. You start an 18 month workup, and at the beginning of that, you meet your platoon. You meet the people you're going to be with for the next two years. And at the end of that two years, 60%, you think, leave?
2: Yeah. The leadership
3: is certainly going to leave, which sometimes is a blessing. Yeah. but And and there'll be a core group of guys, but then it's five or six new guys. Yeah. Then it's new leadership, new headshed, and you have to re-gel and re-figure out how you're going to work together and the strengths and the weaknesses and break your unit up into pieces to make sure that you're mutually supporting that development group. When I graduated from Green Team, I think four guys went to Gold Squadron. Yeah, there was forty dudes there. Yeah. you know, I mean, they got a ten percent influx of individuals, and not even every team got a brand new guy. And then every year it was a slower. It was not a slower. Every year it was a slow influx of individuals. It's not this bolus yeah. of fresh bodies. So you're you. I I think it lets you keep up on step a little yeah. bit more.
2: Well, then, I, I think just in, in terms of currency and competence that you speak of is that. You know, a guy with two platoons under his belt, while isn't going to be at the level that, that you know, dev group guys are, he's still way fucking closer yeah. than a guy fresh out of STT. Or and
3: you SKT. can get the guy there quick yeah. after two platoons, yeah. especially if you strip away a lot of the other stuff they were focusing yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. And you hand him a, you know, an M4
2: or a, yeah.
3: you know, a, a HK416 and say, this is your tool. Yeah. This
2: Master is, it. This is your fucking scalpel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Amen. <laughs> hey, Just real quick, did uh, I know for me it it didn't, but did politics play any type of role for you while you were on active duty in terms of it being a backdrop to feeling certain ways about countries you were in, what you were doing, who you were there with? Did did that play any role, or was it kind of just a a non-factor like it is, I think, for most of us? I did not vote
3: while I was in the military. and. Perhaps I'm an idiot, but the way I thought of it was that if you are an action arm of foreign policy, you should not have an input on the direction that it takes. You know, when you, when you enlist in the military, you swear an oath, right, to support and defend the Constitution and uphold the uh, orders of the officers above you and the President of the United States. Yeah. doesn't mean that you have to like the President of the United States, and doesn't mean that you should like your job even more because you love the President of the United States. In my opinion, uh, it shouldn't matter. You serve serving the people, right, and, and the will of the people— or the, the elected officials that are supposed to govern the people, whether or not you feel represented by that is a different story, but I never really thought about it. Yeah. If I'm I, being totally honest, I paid enough attention to politics to harass the people that I worked with by antagonizing them in arguments.
2: Yeah, That's no, all that I did. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm fucking right there with you. I mean, to me, I, I was, I'd say similarly, like I just, I think with most guys it's, you know, it's the guy on the right and the left mentality of like, you know, it doesn't matter why we're here. It doesn't matter who told us. Why they told us the fact is, is that we're here like you know when flash crashes are going off and, and bullets are snapping over your head like it doesn't fucking matter anyway you know like the yeah. fact is your job is to is to fucking kick ass and come home but for me and I'm curious if you if you had any of this too I mean I did twelve a little over twelve years but even in that amount of time uh, as I got you know further uh, down the road in terms of career I, I and that that little bit of peek behind the curtain. Was a little bit of the Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz um, disparity, you know, in yep. terms of like, God damn, really, you know, there, there was a little bit of that, a little bit of disenfranchisement, and you know, it, it's so romanticized as a bud student and as a new guy and whatever um, that, uh, as you start to to peel some of those layers of that fucking leadership onion away, I, I found some some kind of heartbreaking shit, at least from from my perspective. Did you have a similar similar experience?
3: Yeah, I mean, the closer you. The harder you look through the magnifying glass at the SEAL teams, at the seams, the more you're going to find the bureaucracy. Yeah. And the reality is, is the military is a massive bureaucracy. It's not fast moving. Mm-hmm. The SEAL teams are faster moving. Um, the JSOC commands are slightly faster moving than most. But if you look hard enough, yeah. you'll find it. You'll find, uh you know, what I try to tell people is that there's weeds in every long, yeah. regardless of the size. That's true of...
2: And how nice the rest of the grass is. Correct.
3: It's true of special operations. It's true of JSOC. It's true of whatever garden or grass that you're looking at. You're going to find some weeds. And the harder you look, the more you're going to find. You're going to find people who are there for self-serving reasons. You're going to find people who are there for a bullet on a resume. And that's all they want is a bullet on a resume. You're going to find people there for political aspirations. I'd say there's two of those individuals in the news recently. Greitens and fucking Tippins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't vote for him. Yeah, fucking shitbirds extraordinaire. Unbelievable. And yeah. again, the SEAL teams, the SEAL team leadership could crush both of their souls, but they yeah. don't. Yeah, and they should, yeah. and it's wrong, and it speaks to the moral compass of the SEAL teams. But it's a different topic. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, eventually, you pull back the curtain, and you realize that the the machine. Running the engine is actually a donkey with a fly buzzing around its head. (laughs) And you go, God damn
2: it. And a lame fucking back
3: quarter. It it is. And, you know, uh, when I speak, when I do public speaking, and people ask me about leadership, I, I always say exactly the same thing. I say, during my time in the SEAL teams, I was surrounded by the most exceptional leaders that I've ever seen that have embodied every bit of humility and accountability and responsibility and empowerment And I was also surrounded by the worst leaders that I've ever seen that embodied the exact opposite of all of those qualities that I just mentioned because it's human beings and no selection process is perfect. There are some that are better than others. The seal selection process I think works really, really well. You're still going to get weeds that come through. They're there. I just, I did my best to not let the anomaly paint the norm, but you want to talk about, yeah, you get some bad taste in your mouth for sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I had, I had similar experiences in that, uh, you know, like I said, just as, as I went further and further along, I I became, uh, you know, a little bit disgruntled in in that regard. But to me, the irony is, is that, you know, as I went further along, I also saw guys who, uh, you know, had, had stuck around long enough and, and had put up with enough shit and, and had, buried their own careers you know for the greater good of the community because they were good guys because i mean it seemed to be kind of the running joke uh you know while we were in is it like the you know the good the turds float to the top and then the good guys are like fuck this i'm out of here i'm gonna go start a business or whatever and and, uh, and there's know, some truth to that yeah i mean so the guys that, that stayed in like there there was a kind of a, a dichotomy of of that is that i saw more you know more of, of the fuck really you know t- type of leaders but then i also saw guys that i was like holy fuck man my hat's even further off to you yeah. for sticking around and, and towing the fucking line the way that well
3: you can them. game it i yeah. mean let's be honest you can game the military system yeah
2: i if mean you a lot of guys do
3: you can't if you have a pulse yeah. and a certain amount of time in service yeah you are eventually going to get put into a leadership position mm-hmm. if you progress far enough up the ladder there's no coming back down you can cut the rungs off underneath the person in the hopes that they fall but they generally don't and then because it's a pyramid they can't go any higher and nor can you or others until they have either time out or whatever reason they may choose to leave Yeah, yeah i mean you you can absolutely game it
2: yeah yep no absolutely so uh, in your instructor time mm-hmm. uh, instructor duties uh, coincidentally we were actually there at the same time uh, which i know you were in second phase yep. I, I was a, a brown shirt rollback coordinator in PTRR, so we didn't really work together then but uh, we
3: were over at the pool deck all the time though. Yeah, yeah. yeah
2: we were there at the same time so um you know for, for me i'm curious to get your take i mean for me that was a pretty pretty unique and uh, fascinating time Uh, in in that in a good way and seeing behind the curtain of you know most team guys just have the experience of going through it and you know there's not not a huge percentage of us that have I would say the the honor and pleasure of of actually being uh, ones facilitating that selection process but To me like I I, uh, will always be really proud of of that experience and and what I found really fascinating was was the the psychology behind uh, why guys quit and, and watching that process of going from inspired the same way you and I were and then making that that crippling and life-altering decision in the most negative fucking way possible to say you know what I I don't want to do this anymore and and watching like that uh, you know magnitude of a of a decision take place during stressful times right in front of your face was to me was fascinating Um, what what was your your experience I guess as an instructor in terms of that or in general
3: I think that my time there I spent 18 months there a it could possibly be the most rewarding tour of my career. Yeah. If you look at it for what it is, you have the ability to be wildly impactful on the community moving forward because I tried to think of it from the eyes of my 18-year-old self mm-hmm. looking at the the instructors wearing the green shorts yeah. and the blue shirt and the ridiculously gay starched hat. <laughs> the eight point. Yeah, and I don't mean that in the old English definition of happy. <laughs> I was, I mean, I'm freaking terrified of those guys. Jump, no problem. How high? Run, how fast, how far? Yeah. Um, I remember what that felt like. And I remember when I encountered my first BUDS instructor, in the back of my head, I had this thought of, I think this dude's a piece of shit. <laughs> you know? And it stuck with me. And then later on in my career, I ended up serving with that person. And that initial thought, yeah, it was reinforced. <laughs> no and shit. it was found to be true. Uh, and I didn't ever want to be that guy. And I, I mean, it's, it's your chance to be a representative of the community that these guys are volunteering in a time of war, mind yeah. you, post nine eleven. 11 now. I don't think you and I necessarily knew what we were getting into to a degree. Sure. I had an idea, yeah. but my career ended up being more than I ever thought it could be mm-hmm. in going in directions that I never thought it could go. Uh, and we volunteered in peacetime. Yeah. There's something to be said for people who put their life on hold and volunteer in a time of war. Vastly different, yeah, vastly different. And I mean, I was there from two thousand six to late late two thousand six to October first of two thousand and eight. There was some kinetic activity taking place. People were dying a lot, Um, but I loved it. I loved one. I loved the psychology aspect as well too. I loved talking with people who quit, and I would like to say, I would love to be able to say that I was doing like some uh, type of sociology experiment. Yeah. But truthfully, I was trying to weaponize their reasoning on other students <laughs> yeah. because I wanted to make as many of them quit as possible. Yeah. Because I don't want them to die. Yeah. And I and you don't only, want your brothers to die. You only want to get the right people to make it through. And once I realized that the common theme existed between most of them that quit, they just got overwhelmed yeah. in a moment of being low. Yeah. Like, all right, well, I have these elements that I can use: water, yeah. you no know, temperature, yeah. sleep. I can push you low. Yeah. And then I'll. Maybe I just need to try to overwhelm you. <laughs> yeah. And I would start with the first student in line, and if he ignored me, I'm like, ah, fuck you. i just go to the next student in line. <laughs> yeah, maybe and you you're can, weaker. But it's funny. But You can see this, the seeds of doubt sprouting. Oh, yeah. And it, it, that was my simple recipe for getting students to quit, is I would try to make them think about their world in a big perspective. Like, can you really be this cold for 180 days? <laughs> you really think you can tolerate me in Hell Week for the next seven days because— Every minute of every shift, I'm going to be up your ass. Yeah. And of course, I started with the officers. Yeah. Why? Because fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I was an officer at the end of were, my career. Uh, but I was a fake officer,
2: though. <laughs> yeah, limited, limited duty. <laughs> heavy on the limited. Heavy limit.
3: on the limited, Light <laughs> on the duty. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, they're, it's a rock, paper, rank organization. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go into the military as an officer, you better be damn well ready to lead. And you yeah. better not lead by pointing at your collar device, because I'm yeah. going to knock it off your collar I'm banging your teeth down your throat. Yeah. So I would start with them, and I, and I would work my way down. But I took, I took the job very seriously, and it was – I my personal perspective, I taught uh, second phase, which is diving. We taught open circuit, which means bubbles escape, closed circuit, which means they don't. Uh, and there's a test called pool comp that I think was four weeks into it. And if you pass pool comp – it's pretty much your, you get like high ninetieth percentile. You could be stupid and get. I mean, the fastest way out of the SEAL teams is probably an alcohol related incident. Yeah. So you could do that or a safety, at, violation. Or a safety violation or safety violation. Feel free to do both of those at any time. Yeah. You're going to get ejected yeah. faster than a Elon Musk rocket launching a car <laughs> into space, right? But absent that, if you pass pool comp, you're you're probably going to be in. Yeah. And one thing that I really tried to do was one i always treated the students fair and equitably pre pool comp even like in when i worked hell week shifts cuz all the instructors have to i never yelled not even a single time when i was at buds um, i never raised my voice and i actually think that freaked him out more just
2: yeah so psychologically that has such i mean you see like the the marine di in yeah. contrast to the seal instructor <laughs> and it's polar fucking opposite and and for sure like it a raised voice I mean the same with parenting it's it's yeah. a lot with dogs actually is you know the um, it becomes white noise, you know, it, well, the
3: quieter it, you talk, the harder they have to listen.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and the harder it is not to listen, Yeah. you know, to, to me, like it, the, the harder it is to, to block that out. If, if, if they're having a, a, a almost monotone, like spooky fucking narrative yeah. you know, or, or narrators type of voice and right there in your fucking ear, like you can't, you can't block that out as well, you know, but, and again, you know, I, I, tr-
3: I tried to remember that I'm looking at students. But I'm also looking at peers at some point, especially past pool comp. And they may not end up being my peers, but they're going to end up being peers of people that I know. And again, I remember being a BUDS instructor and having that asshole or a BUDS student and having that asshole instructor and just logging it in the back of my head. Like, I'm going to see you one day at a bar and you're going to be loaded (laughs) and I am going to cold cock you so hard in the side of the ear. (laughs) And it just, you know, like you harbor, you can... You can plant seeds as an instructor that there will be resentment harbored for the rest of their life towards you. And it's there's no reason to do it. You're not a better instructor if you do that. And I'm glad I took it as seriously as I did. I I I would do. I ended up doing a lot of the, like every Friday, they were supposed to, or they, they weren't supposed to. The students did. They would sit down and they would do core value talks for yeah. like an hour. It's just Q&A. Yeah. And most of the time, it would be a chief petty officer or above who would conduct those. And I ended up doing most of them because I would just sit there. And I would just talk with them, and I would answer questions, and I would answer them completely honestly about SEAL teams. They would ask about combat. They would ask about the impact of SEAL teams on married life and how, and how it, you know, and how all of those things exist and the push and the pull. And I'm glad that I took it as seriously as I did because when I went to Team 3 in my next duty station, I ended up working with like 30 of those kids, which yeah. is what they were. They were yeah. kids. Yeah. And I had a great relationship with all of them. I'm sure there's some out there that hate my guts and— you know what? That's that comes. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. Nobody's perfect, and I really don't care. If everybody yeah. loved me, I was actually doing my job wrong. Yeah. I don't want anybody to love me. Actually, I just wanted to be good seals. Yeah,
2: yeah. Now I think those are those are in, uh, very poignant, uh, you know, experiences that that you can glean a lot of uh, you know life lessons from that. Really, r- no matter where you are at, is, is taking that same attitude. I mean, I know. For a lot of times, uh, depending on where you're at in life, you know, it can it can be easy to not take something seriously or not find the value in doing something. And obviously at a at a um, at a command such as that, it's almost impossible not to, to draw some of those those principles from. But, you know, to me, taking that attitude into no matter what the fuck you're doing, I don't care if you're making French fries at Burger King, like. You know, ha- having a, a similar mentality, I think, is uh, just a good way to make the world a fucking better place. But uh, that's, that's good shit. I, I love hearing about it. Um so moving on, you, uh, you went back to the teams after that, got the mm-hmm. uh, what would we in the Navy call the Mustang you know, route or, or commission in terms of being a prior enlisted and then getting a commission if you can... Uh,
3: I think of it as being an unbridled stallion. Right? Yes, sure. <laughs> yes. sure, of course you do. That's
2: fucking convenient. <laughs> it's
3: an unbridled stallion that must run free. Yeah. I'd actually... I don't know where the term Mustang comes from, but yeah, yeah. it's a prior enlisted that becomes an officer.
2: Yeah. Uh, so what, uh, what was the deal with that, basically? I mean...
3: So I got uh, shot in the middle of uh, deployment, and that deployment was my LPO tour. No, shit. And the Navy, in their infinite wisdom, uh, considered my LPO tour to be incomplete. And if you want to advance in the military system, there are mandatory go-no-go wickets. And in the Navy, the big jump is from E6 to E7, right? Petty officer, first class, super heavy on the petty. (laughs) To chief petty officer, still very heavy on the petty, is your LPO tour. Without that, you know, every year you fill out, you have a notebook in front of you. You literally create a record. And from my understanding, your record gets about 30 seconds in front of a raider. And the first look that it gets, they're looking for all of your mandatory uh, leadership positions. The most important one being for chief is LPO.
2: And and for those listening, that's leading petty officer, which is kind of like a a main supervisor of a a platoon. But
3: like middle, I would say, yeah, like a middle manager. And then you get to chief and you would certainly be, you're not in the C-suite I would consider that more the O's, but you're definitely upper management at that point. So my record got swept off the table two years in a row. And I had good evals. I had good awards. I had good experience uh, administratively and in combat. And it just kept getting turned down. And I wasn't ready to be done in the military. And I, you know, I was, so then I became the LPO at second phase but you have to hold the position for two years. So when I first got there, I had to wait till a guy finished yeah. a year after being there. He finished. So I actually was only LPO for like six months. So I basically got put on hold. I would have gotten put on hold for about five years because I didn't meet the criteria for having completed my LPO tour because yeah. apparently getting medevaced out to launch stool <laughs> is, uh, unsatisfactory yeah, in nature. Breaker. I know I shouldn't have jumped in front of that AK round. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> But I was, looking at, I was looking at my options and I stumbled across a commissioning program that didn't require a college degree. And it was actually designed for the fleet. And in the history of the SEAL teams, it had only been used by E-7s and E-8s that either transitioned to the warrant program because it's, it's kind of the same package you put in. It's actually the identical package. I think you just check a box. One says warrant officer, one says LDO. Uh, and LDO, the difference between the two... An LDO is still considered a line officer, and I mean really the only difference on that is, is that you wear a star on your sleeve, which means you can still maintain some semblance of tactical command, or you can be put into a tactical leadership position. A warrant officer no longer is supposed to serve in that capacity, although I'm sure there are examples of them needing to or having to be in an in extremis situation. So I put a package together. I had my commanding officer from development group write me an awesome recommendation he ended up being the commanding officer of the bin Laden raid. So okay. he had a quite storied career. So yeah. it was a good recommendation. And from my team leader, he wrote me one and the command master chief, and I put it in. And in a program that had historically only selected E7s and E8s, I got picked up first as an E6. Over 28 other applicants. So I ended up becoming the first E6 selection in the LDO program in the history of spec war, of naval special warfare, not spec war in general. Pretty sure there's a plaque for that. It's a belt buckle. Yeah, it's pretty big. God, (laughs) welcome to Texas. That's why I picked belt buckle. (laughs) So I. Um, October 1st of 2008, I went from being an E6 to an O1 with no additional training.
2: <laughs> that's fucking great. <laughs> that was a fucking, that's, that's classic textbook. Fucking I Navy. literally
3: I went and uh, to the Navy exchange across the street and I said, <laughs> Hey, I need some officer uniforms. So they yeah. fitted me. Yeah. Um, and I, I had them double and triple check to make sure that I was like putting the belt on the right yeah. way. They later sent me off to uh, Newport, Rhode Island to the most ridiculous I guess like Mustang university, which was completely designed for fleet individuals. Yeah. Uh, I was there with another seal and we were excused from three quarters of the training. <laughs> like they were doing, they were literally doing like mo board type stuff, like radar. The I was like, y- you're, you guys are fine. See you on Thursday. Jesus. So really I just, I just, I went from being an, uh, an enlisted guy to an officer overnight, yeah. zero
2: additional training. And then from there became the training officer at seal team three. I gotta tell you, it's, I mean that uh, that story in and of itself uh, says a lot about uh, both the military and the community. You know, uh, but, yeah. Uh, I
3: mean, uh, I mean the advancement system is obviously broken. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, because it's, if you're going to pick me up, you're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's twelve <laughs> shades of fucked up. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking great. Yeah.
3: How do you know that the officer selection program is broken uh, because I got through?
2: Yeah, slipped through the cracks. <laughs> Those are the weeds you are talking about. Um, re- real quick, if you could, just uh, can you share the uh, the experience of when you were wounded? Yeah, uh, it wasn't pleasurable. Yeah, no shit. Uh, it uh, was not.
3: It uh, just a little pinch. You know, it it was not an ad normal night. It wasn't atypical in any way. We had been. I was actually on a. I don't know what it would it be called if it would be called a cross training deployment or it would be a currency deployment. Uh, but I got shot February fifth, two thousand and five. And in that time period, or at that time, development group was heavily focused on Afghanistan and. The Army component of JSOC, just because I don't know what name they're currently using or they want to be used by, I'm just going to say the Army component of JSOC was heavily focused on Iraq. And the powers that be, sometimes they make very good decisions. And they realize that it's probably not a good to have that much geographic specificity. So they wanted to take an element from each and train with and deploy with the other one. So I was actually on a deployment with Army guys, uh, five other blue guys which is the jsoc term for development group tf blue army guys are tf green uh we were with them in iraq based out of the green zone staying in one of Uday and kuse's palaces Mm. we would go banging at night and then sit on inflatable flamingos in their pool
2: popping viagra and (laughs) drinking johnny walker blue label
3: uh we would go the other way (laughs) uh but so I was working with those guys and I get asked often on my thoughts uh, about other special operations forces and and I have the same answer every time I, I got nothing but respect yeah. uh, even internally in the SEAL teams and specifically at JSOC you know there were people like oh, you, know, you know fuck those army guys and I'm sure the army, some of the army guys were like oh, fuck those navy guys I had great experiences with them yeah. uh, still maintain contact with some of the guys I was on deployment with like, they became really good friends at an operator level pff, awesome they're no different yeah. they just wore a different uniform yeah uh, at the higher levels, the political levels, I'm sure because they're battling for budget and probably operational ability, or not ability, but operational mission sets, I could see there probably be some tension. But So we were banging hard with those guys. I mean, we were, God, it was awesome. Every night we would go and the sun would go down and you'd get your game gear on and the target set would start lighting up and we would launch and we would roll it into another one, into another one. We had a full TF-160th package with Blackhawks and Little Birds and DAPs. We had the M.H.'s and the A.H.'s, which are the Magnum P.I. helicopters. You can sit on the skids, or they have rocket pods, and they literally aim with a freaking grease marker. (laughs) Literally, the pilot gets up there. He's like, and if he misses, he's like, and moves it over. Those guys are badass. So, I mean, like, five nights out of seven, I was on the skid of a little bird, 50 feet over the top of Baghdad, just banging targets out. It was awesome. And this particular night, uh, we were doing what's called a gaff or a ground assault force. We were taking vehicles because it was in Baghdad itself. And we walked through a burning garbage dump, which was awesome.
2: Yeah, which is now the your favorite scent of aftershave.
3: Yes, indeed. It smells amazing. <laughs> and I forget who we were after and what we were doing because it wasn't atypical. It was totally just another night. And I was walking point for my element. And I know we were looking for a particular uh, handset meaning a cell phone. And we were having some difficulties actually locating it, and we were making some noise in the process. We actually had somebody run out of a courtyard and see us further down the road. We pursued them and detained them, determined that they were not the people we were looking for. We let them go. I'm pretty sure we shotgun breached a door or two during that time period. Point being, we didn't necessarily have our ninja slippers on anymore. Yeah. So I was, for about 10 minutes, I was standing on a ladder looking over a courtyard wall and all the courtyards there have probably six to eight foot walls that are six to eight inches thick of mud, just looking at the front of a building. And there was a light on in the main front window and it looked a lot like an American house, at least in the architecture where it had a, a recessed window and it looked like a section of the house came out that could have had like a normal place where a garage door was gonna be, except for the garage door was a window in this instance. And then the, the widget guy who, I don't know, magically knows where these things are, he said, hey, this is, this is actually the building. So I hopped over the wall and was going to make movement to the door because I was going to hold security while a friend of mine ended up putting a breaching charge on the door. But something in the back of my head just told me just to hang out. So I waited until I heard some more people come over the wall off the ladder. And I started making my way towards the door. And right when I got to the corner of the building that was sticking out, Before I turned my back on the window, I wanted to take a look in it just as a good operational principle to stay Mm. alive. And as soon as I took my head off of the window or my vision and attention off of the window that was lit and I swung it to the right, I heard off my left shoulder, just and the first round out, just (laughs) pounded into my hip and it spun me sideways and kicked my feet out from underneath me. It felt like I had had a... nine inch nail in a baseball bat and just let fully juiced up jose canseco or mark mcguire take a swing at me god damn uh flat on my back um gunfire erupting from the house it seemed like it took about four and a half years but it was probably about a half of the second and then the guys on the wall started hammering back i ended up pinned underneath the vehicle I had a shotgun underneath my right shoulder and the bungee strap that I had attached to my armor ended up wrapping around a piece of the undercarriage. So I was trying to get out from underneath the vehicle while staring at AK fire from probably about 15 feet away, just listening to the rounds impact on the vehicle. Uh, And my buddy ended up having to come over and grab me and drag me around the corner, basically right underneath the window that I was going to look in, which was empty and dark. And they continued to prosecute the target. um, And there ended up being eight guys wounded that night. Um God, some man. of them were blue on blue, actually. Uh the cag uh yeah, well, whatever. The cag guys. <laughs> Damn it. Uh I, I think that's an unclassed name, so we should be fine. They had made entrance on the other side and they were working their way internally towards the building that the guy was shooting from and they had gotten into a gunfight inside. Well, they ended up breaching a metal door that was facing the train that was coming towards us. So there were multiple gunshot wounds, and then there was wounds uh, sustained from the breaching charge itself. Because we put a C6 strip on that thing, which is a robust charge. And I know that's not going to make sense to a lot of people, but it's enough to take down a very heavily reinforced metal door. And I don't think this door was either of those things. So most of the explosive blast went into the Army personnel. Um, They ended up flying in Little Birds to get the people who were the most severely wounded out. I ended up getting put in the back of a Bradley fighting vehicle, uh, with another guy that I was with who would get shot in the hand and that was it. That was
2: the end of my deployment. In terms of your, your triage on yourself, what, what did you do anything to yourself to help mitigate uh, blood loss and shit like that? So
3: I grabbed, I grabbed high on my left leg. It's funny. <laughs> my buddy who ended up pulling me around the corner is awesome guy. He's out now thriving, doing his own thing in the civilian world. He comes over and he's got a pair of trauma shears like dude move your hand man i want to see how bad it is And i looked at him like fuck you dude direct pressure because <laughs> i was probably too much of a bitch in the moment if i had seen my own blood squirting out i had been like i oh, like <laughs> great Just. so in the end it actually wasn't bleeding that bad i yeah. mean the the pants that they cut off me in the hospital were soaked in blood on that side but all they ended up doing was wrapping uh curlex and gauze like a big wad of gauze and wrapped it and then left it. I've still never had surgery. Was it
2: a clean through and through?
3: No, it's all still in my pelvis. Oh, so shit. there were metal bars in the window. And I i never saw the guy. I just heard it. But from what I was told, basically, as I turn my head full Somali style, a gun just comes up and just cock, 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 cock. So the round that hit me, I suspect nicked a piece of the rebar that was in the window because it was coming apart. I mean, you look at the x-ray of my leg. The penetrator of the round is on the right-hand side of my pelvis, and there's a couple hundred pieces of frag in my leg that's just spackled everywhere. You had me at penetrator. I know I did. That's why I <laughs> used it. And then the second round that the guy shot at me, because it spun me, it actually hit my belt, burned about three inches of my belt, and the copper jacket is welded to the belt that I was wearing that night. And For then sure. the round continued through. God damn. So if it hadn't have spun me, it probably would have just detonated my pelvis. and. Yeah. Anybody who knows anything about medicine, there's some important things in your pelvis. <laughs> yeah. In my time on earth, Turns would have been out. would have been probably counted in in minutes if I'd have been yeah. lucky. But you know, they took me to the green zone. Uh, like, like I said, I wasn't the most injured person there by any stretch of the imagination. I wasn't happy about it. wasn't having fun. But I actually, my main complaint was my ankle. I felt like somebody had just taken Thor's hammer, probably Thor himself, and just pounded on my ankle. And come to find out it was because the round either severed or interacted with my sciatic nerve. So it short-circuited it down all the way to my foot. And I I just didn't know what it was. I remember them slowly and gingerly cutting off my left foot um, not my left
2: foot. <laughs> you, you, you're pretty mobile. Slowly but... and gingerly,
3: they cut my foot off. No, they cut the laces off, and they took my shoe off. And I remember just like God, it hurt because I hadn't had any morphine because yeah. I had never had any. And I thought if you took it, yeah. it'd be like the movies, and I'd be like blowing bubbles. Yeah. Come to find out, it doesn't do shit.
5: Yeah.
3: Um. They ended up juicing me with like a two-liter bottle, and then handed me a phone <laughs> to call my wife. That was an interesting experience. But they, you know, the guy, the doctor said, well first um, they had to check to make sure that there was no internal bleeding so I got a finger up my ass Nothing that was that. emasculating bonus. That's a bonus.
4: <laughs> I'm Nick the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs cryptids conspiracies and the paranormal real people real encounters so come with us on the journey into the unknown UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. And then, um, he's like, "Well,
3: do you want us to try to take it out?" And at least at that point, I had what, to was ha- talking
2: about the finger or the bullet.
3: Uh, he kind of he <laughs> might have done both at the same time. I was both
2: your hands on my shoulders. Yeah.
3: Um, I had the wherewithal in the moment to say, "What do you mean by?" take out the frag he's like well there's some ferrous metal in there obviously so we're not going to give you an mri what we'll do is we will knock you out put you on your stomach tube in your mouth two-dimensional x-ray and basically what we'll do is exploratory cuts through your
2: ass cheek
3: cutting and spreading and looking for the metal along the way
2: yeah i was i was with you until exploratory yes
3: and (laughs) i remember saying to him is there an option B, and <laughs> he said, "Yeah, well, your body will naturally encapsulate it in calcium, and as long as the lead portion of the round doesn't contact a bone, you should be fine." I'm like motherfucker, can you leave with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no so I went with option B, yeah. and so they put me on a pretty heavy morphine drip and put me up, and they literally just wrapped it. Yeah. I mean, they were—I was on pain suppression, was basically all that it was. And then the next day, uh, myself and a couple of the guys were moved to Balad the day after that. Uh, and again i was getting heavy doses of morphine and it was weird i remember like waking up and like i'm pretty sure it was mccrystal like standing at the end of the bed i was like okay and then like back to sleep and like next thing you know we're getting loaded on a, a c141 that has stretchers on the far wall two rows of stretchers in the middle and stretchers on the right wall completely full of dudes who are in the worst shape that anybody's ever seen him yeah a Doctor assigned every two. I was a JSOC, right? More budget. I had a doctor for me. Yeah. I mean, that's there's some of the difference too. They traveled with me to Germany, and then went back to Iraq. Yeah. Got to Germany, and then you started the, the journey home from there. But I mean, what year was that? 2005.
2: 2005. So, it was
3: early. They weren't, yeah. especially when I got back stateside, they weren't necessarily used to seeing uh, a lot of injuries from overseas.
2: Yeah. That's a, uh, I guess for me, that uh, I didn't realize that 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 was prior to buds I mean obviously explaining it yeah, but uh, buds
3: was kind of my rehab yeah i had to i i chose to leave development group for a variety of reasons i satisfied my minimum term there and not a day more and i left for myself and i left for my family yeah
2: during that rehab process was there anything out of the ordinary i mean was was that process was there a lot of pain involved or was it was it fairly textbook or what what was that like so for about a
3: year, I would say the
2: neuropathic pain
3: in my leg was, it was bad. Yeah. And at that time, I, I can't speak to how it is uh, in the modern day or what the medicine like is like now. Uh, it was a definitely an environment of prescribe and check in with me later. Yeah. I had Oxycontin, I had Percocet, I had Vicodin. They had me signing waivers for the dosage of Gabapentin that they were giving me and Neurotin. I can't remember which one of those it is, but one of them is an anti-seizure medicine for kids. And it has a secondary or tertiary side effect of reducing neuropathic pain, but it also reduces your central nervous system processing. And it it really, it had an impact. And it didn't help that I was completely in the rabbit hole of boozing my ass off to try to go to sleep. I was taking three and four Ambien and I could stay awake. Uh, but I was drinking every night. I had 13, 14 pill bottles that I could, uh, that I could take from. And I was. And I remember uh, I was driving with my wife and she asked me a a simple arithmetic question about, it had something to do with the price of gasoline and filling up the vehicle and gas back then was like a dollar 15. And I think we probably needed to spend 10 bucks. The problem was that I recognized I couldn't do the math and I, and I recognized why And the Navy didn't have me on a rehab protocol. Um, they would, I would go in every other day and they would put me on an e-stem machine. They would just put the pads on my muscle and they would fire it for an hour and See you later, you know, yeah. go do your thing. So I did my thing in the, in the pill bottles and drinking my ass off. And I, I mean, I put my wife through hell a lot in my career for sure, but I'm sure that year of our marriage is one that stands out for her, where I was not her favorite person, yeah. uh, cause I sucked. I mean, I was in a bad place. I was the exact opposite of what I wanted to be. And I remember in that moment though, when she asked me about the, the gas and not being able to do the math. I knew I I had to make a change. But I also knew that if I stopped cold turkey on a lot of those meds, it was gonna be an issue, specifically the Gabapent and Neurotin, because if you lower your threshold to seizures and then you stop all of a sudden, well, you're gonna have seizures, even if you're not prone to them. So I slowly started working myself on them, off of them. Uh, And that's actually how I found CrossFit and ended up getting introduced to the people that created the program and ran the program. I used that as rehab in and of itself. It was painful. I had limited range of motion. But if I could get myself to exhaust myself in the gym and I could sweat, I could finally fall asleep. And that was the biggest difference for me was actually being able to rest. And slowly over about the course of a year, I got myself off of, the pain pills were the easiest ones to get off of. I think I was doing it more out of habit uh, and leisure time enjoyment. (laughs) And uh, I mean, if I'm being honest, and uh, the Neurotin and Gabapentin ones were a little bit tougher because I did start feeling the nerve sensation and the burning, and I don't know if I learned to ignore it or it eventually just went away. But about a year later, I was off everything. No oh, shit.
2: Yeah. Shout out to CrossFit, right? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. When I was an instructor there, uh, I, I was part of a group that uh, there's a handful of us that went from the center in early Oh five. It was like February, March of Oh five and went up to Santa Cruz to, oh, cool. to a level one cert. And I remember I had never heard of it. It was basically like, Hey, why don't you handful yep. of you assholes go up there and see what this fucking thing's <laughs> all about. And, one, one of the guys got rabdo oh, we all fucking threw up after fran like it was a fucking total shit show but and of course like a bunch of dumbasses i, I was just coming off of a an eight-month convalescent leave stint losing 40 percent of my lung capacity from valley fever which is a whole other fucking story but so yeah. I, I was kind of in that saying like that, that's the, the big reason or really the reason why, why i ended up at buds too uh was was to kind of get back on my feet physically after that but going up there on the, on the backdrop of that uh, and having no idea what I was getting myself into. Holy shit, you talk about eating a fucking humble pie. Well, the best thing to do is if
3: you're new to CrossFit is to dive in headfirst. Yeah, do, do Throw Fran, caution to the yeah, wind.
2: Yeah, do Fran, fucking as prescribed <laughs> with everything you have like I did. God. Uh, so I ended up working for them for years yeah. afterwards
3: on the weekend, and I got to, again, administer that protocol to many people who came in with a chip on their shoulder. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then they deposited that chip in many small pieces.
2: Uh, in a bucket in the fucking hallway. Yeah. It works. Yeah, yeah,
3: it's not. Right. Uh, it's not ethical or responsible to introduce yeah. it to people like yeah, that. But, but it serves it anyway. a purpose. <laughs> yeah, but we did it anyway.
2: Um, so, t- is I am assuming that 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 played probably the largest role in your medical retirement? Yeah, I mean,
3: the cumulatively, they looked a lot at the concussions as well. You know, and I went in, uh, so I was five days from separating just from the Navy. I was just going to get out. Because when I got back off my last deployment in 2010, I was told that you know now that I'm on the officers' side of the house, even though I was in a tactical role on that deployment, I needed to now do my AOIC tour and my OIC tour back to back. Yeah, and I was like, no, no. that's not happening. Like, yeah. I actually want to be present for my kids and for yeah. my wife and for my family. So I was just going to separate, no retirement, nothing. And I went in for my physical, and the doctor said, uh, no, we're not going to sign this. So I was, in the pick, I was in a pinch yeah. Uh, because, yeah, uh, daddy was going to stop getting paid in five days. <laughs> yeah. So I needed to call the officer detailer who happened to be the commanding officer from Gold Squadron when I was there. Yeah. Same guy who wrote the evaluation for me and the recommendation. He's like, yeah, give me 30 minutes. Call me back. He's like, you're extended for a year. No problem. I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Yeah. Uh, so they sent me out to NICO, the National Intrepid Center of Excellence, which is attached to Walter Reed uh, in the Washington area and it was 30 days of the most intensive and encompassing medical treatment that i've ever received the beauty of it is it was run by civilians so therefore it's better than the yeah, military they had their shit together
2: <laughs> and actually knew what they were doing yeah
3: uh, in large part yes if it's run by civilians they're going to do a better job than most of the military organizations are going to and i answered all their questions honestly and i they sit sit you down to talk to psychologists and psycholo- psychiatrists and psychologists? I still don't know the difference between the two other than one
2: can prescribe yeah, meds. Psychiatrists can prescribe meds, I think.
3: And I answered all their questions honestly. And when it came to my operational history, you know, from experimental test jumping of tandem canopies to being around explosions to being blown up to being around breaching charges, I can't get an MRI because of the retained metal. So they had to make an estimate on exposure to concussions off of operational history. And the number they came back with was relatively high. Uh, it made me uncomfortable when they started talking about, you know, what it may look like in my later years from a cognitive perspective. So the, I left there like 150 pages of documentation. That was the true horsepower behind the medical retirement.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I mean, that that's definitely an atypical experience, you know, as it yeah. relates to, to most, uh, you know, service members or veterans uh, exiting of their prospective military branch. But, to me, that's how it ought to fucking be. You know, I agree for, for everybody, but uh, I'm, I'm glad at least uh, at least one of us had, had a good experience fucking springboarding out of the military. Uh,
3: I don't know if it was good. A, well, it worked out of my favor. I, I guess I would say uh,
2: <laughs> appropriately fucking.
3: Uh, everybody should get that screening. You know, yeah, and it would be. I mean, the the best value would be. Or the most telling information would come from if they got it when they came in and yeah. then when they left yeah.
2: because without a starting point yeah. it's a
3: little bit of a sliding scale
2: yeah with no baseline but i mean yeah. it, to me the fact that you know if, if you i mean the entrance exam in terms of your medical screening at least gives you some sort of baseline that you're not you know a complete fucking pile of yeah of uh, broken parts but uh, at any rate um all right so so you find yourself medically retired um what I'm, I'm curious about, I know, you know, we all have our own, uh, path, journey, story, etc. How did you find your purpose after leaving and, and kind of bring us up to, up to speed in terms of what you're doing now and, and all of that shit. Cause I know there's, there's a lot.
3: Yeah. Accidentally would be the only word yeah. uh, that I think is, uh, is accurate. So I got out, uh, and you know, I remember, I remember driving in the day that I was picking up my DD 214, which is, I mean, I guess it's a, what would it be considered a glossary of your service? I mean... Yeah, a snapshot. Yeah, a snapshot, It list when you came in, a list when you're going to get out, all the schools you attended, your duty stations, and your uh, yeah, the schools, your qualifications, your awards. There's a lot of information on that document, which actually a lot of people who are dishonest use to fool people who don't know how to read it, yeah. which is, again, a different story. Yeah. I remember the day I drove in, and I left NAS North Island for the last time, and it was... I mean, it was surreal, man. I was crying as I left the base because.
2: So many memories there.
3: It was all I'd ever wanted to do. and I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I I don't know. I never had thought. I never thought about who I was going to be afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was in 2013. uh, Last day of June of 2013, I went in and picked up my DD-214. And in that time period, a lot of the work we put in overseas was getting unraveled. An inch at a time, Missoula, you know, was falling, Ramadi. I mean, all of the the literal and figurative and literal blood, sweat, and tears that guys that we both know, they got put in, in those places was just getting unraveled. So I didn't find my purpose for a while. I sucked. I struggled. I mean, I was working for CrossFit. I was getting a paycheck, but that's what it was. It wasn't my purpose. It was just, it was paying the bills. And I got to the point where I couldn't watch the news anymore. It was driving me absolutely batshit crazy because I felt like I had no avenue to give back or to continue to do anything. And then I didn't. I also just didn't know how. And I am a firm believer that I've had, never had a unique idea in my entire life. I just <laughs> try to take the advice of people that are smarter than me. And a buddy of mine, I don't remember the exact conversation, but the... The subject of fundraising came up, specifically for the Navy SEAL Foundation. And it piqued my interest a little bit. And then we started talking some more, of course, for a cocktail. It actually was a killer Texan. Again, All right. it needs to be one part Kill Cliff. If you're a pro, it's four parts Tito's. I would recommend starting the reverse of that. Four yeah. parts Killcliff, one parts Tito. Yeah. You'll get there, people. Train.
5: <laughs> scale it.
3: Yeah, scale it. Uh, and he was like, hey, don't you do, don't you jump? And it, it was his idea. Why don't you do something jump-related and raise money for the SEAL Foundation? And it, it wasn't like an instantaneous
5: ding. Yeah.
3: But really rapidly, I realized, like, holy shit, that's cool. Like, what I really want to do is go fight. Yeah. That's what I want to do. I almost sometimes feel like that that's what I was put on this planet to do is to fight. But I can't. Yeah. But not in the way I wanted to. And then I started thinking about my own family and the strain. I didn't I – didn't, I, was, I was selfish in my approach – to my world when I was in the military. And I think our job requires and demands some level of myopic focus on what it is that we're doing. And it wasn't until after I got out that I realized what I had put my parents through in the fucking hell that I had drug my wife through. Now, my kids don't necessarily remember it because they were very young and I'm fortunate. I feel very lucky that it's in that situation, but I was very selfish. Uh, the easiest role to fill in a military family dynamic is the service member, for sure. Oh, fuck yeah, you know. Yes. Uh, and I think the families are often forgotten. But I remember sitting on the skids of a helicopter at the one minute out, getting ready to go into a target that I knew was going to be hot, and thinking, "Is my mortgage check going a clear?" <laughs> yeah. Or you know, yeah. or in moments overseas where I, instead of thinking about my job, I'm thinking about the argument that I had with my wife. And thinking about the things that I wish I had said and, and, and wishing that I could take back some of the things that I did say. And I realized, talking to my buddy and thinking about fundraising, that the next best thing that I can do, absent fighting with the guys, is to support their families. Because yeah. if you can take some of that strain off of the warfighter, it actually makes them more lethal. Yeah. So once I connected those dots in my head, I definitely felt like I was finding my sense of purpose again. Uh, And people ask me all the time, like, where did the wingsuit stuff come from? Well, I don't fucking juggle chainsaws. If I knew how to juggle chainsaws, I would have tried to set a record for juggling chainsaws. I don't know how to do that. I fell in love with skydiving the first jump that I did. And I was able to pursue that passion of my own, which is kind of rare inside of the military, to really be able to pursue an individual passion inside of that bureaucracy. So I went to all the air schools, and I ended up basically going to all of the air schools uh, and got a bunch of jumps for somebody in the military, a very small amount of jumps for somebody who's outside and works in the sport. But I, I paired it up. I was like, all right, this is what I do. And that led me to, uh, that's how I got introduced to Kilcliffe. Actually. It was an employee of Kilcliffe who made that, gave me that thought, planted the seed. They agreed to fund it, which became my first sponsor, which became my first Avenue into, I guess what I'm still kind of doing now, it's, I mean, I, my life is an absolute mess. My least favorite question is, what the hell do you do for a living? Because yeah. I don't know. What would you say <laughs> you do here? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Um, so that became my first sponsor in the skydiving world. Again, it wouldn't happen if I wasn't a SEAL. Yeah. And the company was founded <laughs> by a SEAL. So that helped. <laughs> that really helped me bridge the gap between uh, experience and uh, where I was and where I needed to be to actually be a sponsored skydiver. So, and that led me to another sponsor, which eventually led to me leading some very influential people in the skydiving world who became friends. And I'm just a fan of surrounding myself with people who are way better than me. And I consistently and constantly still try to do that. So that led to some sponsors. Uh, And so the jumping career, if you want to call it that, kind of took off. And then I ended up uh, finding a job that allowed me to kind of give back and teach some Air Force guys jumping skills, which also felt like, again, I was keeping a foot in the door with the fight. And I just came to the conclusion, uh, I mean, not too long ago, really, I mean, probably a couple years at most, that I just, I want to make a difference, man. I yeah. think, And I think that is also, in addition to people telling me that I couldn't be a SEAL, I think that was probably the other half of the equation. I just wanted to do something that made a difference. And I don't think of anything, or I can't think of anything that would make more of a difference than passing on the lessons that we were taught in yeah. our career. I mean... It's, it blows people's minds when I talk about leadership, and the message I have on leadership is not unique. And it guess what? It's not mine. It's what yeah. was taught to me. But what keeps you alive in a gunfight is the same thing that allows you to thrive in business. And that's why Jocko's killing it, and he should be killing it. People should listen to what he's saying. What he's saying is the truth. Mm-hmm. And I bet you Jocko would say the same thing. He's not necessarily creating his own message he's crafting the message that we all learned in a manner that people can digest it i don't think he would say this is my unique idea yeah because it's, it's not you yeah. know and that's fine it's he's passing on the legacy he's staying in the fight so somewhere in there a buddy of mine hit me up and said can you come speak at my company about teamwork right they're like seal team oh can you talk about teamwork i'm like all right sure when spoke at his company, and somebody in the audience said, "Can you come speak at my company?" And so that slowly built as well too. And somewhere in between the jumping and the speaking, met a guy named Tate Fletcher, who was a ex MMA fighter. He's got a podcast of his own, but he, I met him through the CrossFit world actually. so it's weird how it all comes together. He introduced me to Joe, so I went and I did Joe's podcast, and we ended up staying in contact. And you know, Joe's like, "Dude, you should start a podcast." So that's how that came to be. And in the 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 reason I enjoy doing that is because it's a larger microphone, Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively, uh, that allows you to reach more people with a message that I think is important, and it's all driven around making a difference. Yeah. So I found my purpose again by accident, and I found it through listening to people who I respected and then taking action on it. I don't think there's a magic recipe. Yeah. You know, maybe it'll take people a while to find theirs, but I think if you do find it, I know I'm a more satisfied person now. Now that I have a much more clear compass direction that I'm at least trying to follow.
2: Yeah, now, I mean, it's interesting you say that because there's a, a ton of parallels between you know, obviously, you know, coming into the teams. Like there, there's a lot of similarities in terms of uh, you know our our journey along the way, and, and I I'm similarly, I guess, in, in the last just few years really have kind of figured out. And, and felt like I'm actually standing on my own two goddamn feet. Yeah. You know, and not like just looking around like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, even as as purpose-filled or, or, or you know, strategically driven as, as the exterior may seem to a lot of people, because it, it's so dog-heavy over the last 10 years, you know, since I exited the, the Navy, there's been a, a, a fucking ton of pivots. There's been, you know, a lot of a lot of doubt and and times where I, I honestly I didn't know what the fuck I, I thought I was even trying to do in, in some instances and
3: I have that happen to me on Thursdays. <laughs>
2: Every Thursday I schedule it actually. <laughs> Today it, I'm gonna wake a, up and not it's know it's a what sign the fuck wave yeah.
3: and that's you know that's one thing I hate about uh, I don't understand social media. Yeah. I don't find it to be social. Or medium. <laughs> yeah. But it, what I hate about it is it's selective, yeah. right? And people can put what they want, and it's, well, look it's a, at me. My life's yeah. fucking amazing. And they probably got a gun in their mouth every morning. Yeah. They're like, pistol or toothbrush? Which one yeah. do I want to
2: brush with? Yeah. Well, it's a brochure. You it, know? it is.
3: And it's it's just not truthful. Yeah. And the truth is, is that I don't care who you are. You're going to be on a sine wave. Just deal with it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's good days and bad days. And I yeah. think... You know that that uh, for for anybody listening, I mean the you know the the epic uh, and and ever present question of you know what's the meaning of life to me like that it, it's really it, the the simplicity of it is 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 as beautiful as it is poignant is that it's its purpose you know because yeah. because money I mean I know a lot of rich motherfuckers that are absolutely fucking miserable
3: most of them that I know are you
2: know and and
3: they have they want for nothing yeah they have everything but and, they are. I mean, I can't speak for them, but if I were forced to, I would say they feel wildly unfulfilled.
2: Yeah, and and I think there, there's a number of of reasons that swirl around that uh, you know that that contribute to that. But uh, but for me, I know in in my own happiness at least, it, it it's only been in the last few years where I really felt like what I was doing mattered. Uh, and was making a difference in, in people's lives and in, in law enforcement lives and military lives as it relates to dog training and, and helping, you know, regular average everyday citizens understand and communicate to their dogs better and, and drawing parallels between that and raising kids and leadership. And, and it's all very connected, but you know, that, that hasn't, I certainly, you know, 10 years ago, that wasn't the fucking case, yeah. you know, like it really has been, been uh, relatively recent, but in terms of the, the wingsuit stuff, um, how much of that are you still like is most of that recreation or are you still doing some fundraiser or or kind of mission driven uh, elements to that uh, I
3: haven't current? done anything fundraising other than the record attempt which was in 2015 the fundraiser is still active and you know the donations they still trickle in I yeah. still I still am active with the Seal Foundation to a degree but again, to be honest, like right now I'm pulling away from it because of how yeah. I currently feel about the SEAL community. It's nothing negative about the SEAL foundation. It's my own I'll be the first to say it's my own personal issue and desire to detach a little bit from it. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be back. Yeah. You know, I, I just I think I can make more of a difference by passing on the lessons that I was incredibly fortunate to be surrounded by yeah. for basically so far my entire adult
5: life.
2: Yeah. That was one of the things I, I know I've mentioned uh, you know, a number of times to me, like because you and i had such a similar you know from a chronological standpoint a similar time frame that that period of your life from 18 for me it was from 18 to 30 mm. you know to be to grow up essentially and, and you know my my parents did a, f- a phenomenal job in terms of the male role model my dad did a, a, a spectacular job uh know, on the other side of the, the coin my mom did a did an equally uh, spectacular job but but, you know, that, that only gets you to the point of when you leave the fucking nest and yep. cut, cut, the, cut the cord. and They you, can lay the foundation, but they can't yeah, build the house. You know, but, but to, to have that, those experiences, you know, again, being surrounded by grown fucking men who, who led uh, and walked and, and exemplified and exuded a warrior mentality you know, in every fucking facet possible. I mean, that there's, there's no better school. For for you know becoming in a in a, a really an adult than that you know and I'll be forever grateful for that I mean it, to me like I, I it, it I think it makes sense to have uh, mandatory service for that same reason you know I agree um, be, because there's elements of things that you learn in the military that you can't pay to fucking learn anywhere else you know uh, I think
3: we'd be a better nation if I would completely support a two year mandatory service and yeah. I'd be fine if it was. Red Cross. Yeah. I don't care if it's yeah. you know Habitat for Humanity. Just yeah. a service outside of yourself yeah. to change your perspective at least a little bit. Hopefully
2: from me to we. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I'm. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with that. Uh, spot on. Um. Real quick. The uh, before we get into some uh, some political components. Oh, that boy. I, know, I know everybody's fucking <laughs> wondering about. Um. In terms of the bow hunting stuff, can yeah. you uh, can you give us a, a fucking elevator pitch on uh, on the bow hunting?
3: Oh uh, yeah, you know it's an interesting one. Um, for one, not everybody's gonna have time to do it yeah. i I love it because it's ninety percent of what we used to do mm-hmm. the navigation, cover and concealment, stalking,
2: physical prowess phys- everything yeah.
3: it's like that you like you once you get out into the field and you're hunting you're like, yes, I'm so happy like I've never <laughs> been happier when I'm in the outdoors. And bow hunting is just ridiculously challenging. Yeah. And I, for myself, enjoy challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suck at it, but I get to do it every day, and I don't worry about trying to become a master. I'd rather just worry about mastery at some point than being a master today. Uh, and for me, I got into it, for one, the challenge, and two, to you know, to sustainably harvest my own meat and detach, at least economically, from the traditional factory farming. Yeah. Uh, I know that not everybody has the chance to do it, but if you do have the chance to do it, I think what you can expect to find are rewards in your life that have nothing to do with bow hunting. Yeah. Cause it requires discipline and training and integrity. And you know, it's just, yeah.
2: To me, I mean, I, have uh, literally zero fucking experience doing it. I didn't grow up hunting. It, it doesn't do a whole lot for me in the, in the traditional sense, especially here in North Texas, where from my perspective, like what, what I like about bow hunting, especially in places like Montana, Utah, whatever. And there's, there's bow hunters here too, but it, it's different, uh, you know to me most people around here and 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 i I would say probably 95 percent of the hunter population i mean it's like fucking legal poaching you know i mean to me like using corn feed you know deer feeders and and trail cams and fencing and and a deer stand and a scoped fucking 300 wind mag over the course of a year you know to get certain animals into a certain area and, and then take them like to me, that's not fucking hunting. I mean, that, that's that's my take on it. Like, if that's what you're into, like, hey, I don't think it should be illegal. But you know, to me, like, I wouldn't stand up there and beat your chest and be like, "Look at the fucking buck I just pulled!" Like, it took you a year and forty thousand dollars to do it. Like, yeah, you know, to- I
3: agree that that doesn't uh, that doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Again, if people want to do yeah. that, that's fine. And but also, that is where I think a lot of the the
2: negativity
3: the negativity and yeah. yeah, people often associate. Uh, a lot of rifle hunters with a dude sipping on Jack Daniels yeah. in a lawn chair in the back of the pickup truck. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's some people who embody yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, what I have seen, at least in the, especially in the bow hunting community, is that they're the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Well, sure, you
2: have to be. I mean...
3: If you want to be successful, yeah. you don't have to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if,
2: if you want to do it other than... I mean, yeah. To me, it's like you anybody can sit in a fucking boat that does make you a fisherman. I mean, Correct. You, know, you can sit... To, Walking to, around with a bow in your hand yeah. doesn't make you a yeah. bow hunter. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to me, my point is, I guess, is that, you know, my, my hat is off to fucking, like, I, I watch and follow some of Cameron Haynes' stuff, yeah. and, and I know Joe's getting getting uh, big into it, and, and you've been doing it, uh, which, you know, by by uh, default piques my curiosity into it. But uh, It's
3: rewarding. Yeah. I mean, and then I had the exact same feelings about hunting with a rifle. It's just I didn't feel like it was fair, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. And... Then you pick up a bow and you realize all of those distances smash down into your face. Yeah. You're talking 30, 40 yards can sometimes be a long shot. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get next to an animal oh, yeah. that is used to in their genes looking for tigers. Yeah. Cause they're going to attack their face. Yeah. So try to be a bush and, yeah. and then find yeah. a place where you can draw back and then place an arrow while you're getting the yeah. and control all the stuff you need yeah. to control. I mean, You would dig it. It's rewarding, and it's it's you know people like I'm talking about bow hunting again. Like, well, yeah, it's awesome.
2: I mean, to me, it's it's just like it's with it's same as jujitsu, right? You know, it's like there's elements to it that that go so far above and beyond the scope of actually rolling on the ground and fucking wrestling somebody that uh, that are life lessons that are ever present and and prominent in our society and 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 an outlet, especially as you know A or double A type type male personalities that a lot of us have. Um, I, I think it's great shit. I'm, I'm definitely interested in it. But uh, all right, so um, politics as we as we move into <laughs> politics, everybody's fucking favorite. This is uh, you know when we I think I don't know we po- we posted a or posed a question to to everybody a couple weeks ago about you know who do you want to see on mic drop or whatever, and a ton of fucking people are like got to get Andy on there and talk about politics and whatever. So I
3: don't you know. know why people would think I'm necessarily uh, a political powerhouse. I think honestly uh yeah all right we'll see where this goes i might be letting quite a few people down <laughs> yeah,
2: no i, I mean I, to me i think uh there's there's so few um platforms out there that that you know it's just like we'll fucking talk about whatever we want i mean I, i've listened to some of your stuff I, I try to anybody that i that i think i'm an or have on or or know i am I i try not to actually listen to interviews uh, that they're on or do to, i did the same you thing because you, you end up uh
3: like you avoid pre- certain topics yeah, yeah. yeah
2: or having preconceived like i already know what you think like i don't want to know what you think yep until you've been on here so i it's it's fairly limited but at any rate um <clears throat> i know you know for for all of the of the listeners for, uh, for this show in particular uh, politics are, are a huge component uh, in terms of just having a, a kind of a refreshing no bullshit attitude towards it uh, and actually, saying what's on our mind, which uh, which is the whole point of this thing. But um, I've got a whole a whole slew of <laughs> of uh, shit. Uh, how much we get to and uh, send it and, and whatever. But uh, anyway, first thing, uh, it was the the one you mentioned right out of the gate was gun, you know gun control, or or more yep. specifically keeping very, kids safe in school. Yeah, I mean, very recently here there was a shooting in Texas. Um, ten kids, or actually eight kids, two two teachers uh, killed. There's been a ton of them, uh, and people, you know, the, the the there's such a divisiveness in terms of it goes from on one side it's the guns problem on the other side oh, it's just the people and you know, yep. obviously those those are kind of you know extremes on either end. <clears throat> I have the same same thought process that you do that Jocko does that I think most people do uh, in, in our field. And, and before I ask kind of your opinion, one of the things that I find really just fucking irritating. It is when it comes to policies like this I find the, the the squeakiest fucking wheel are generally the the people that are the least educated about it and that's on both sides you you can hear press conferences on on either side of the spectrum of people talking that that within 10 seconds anybody that you know has yeah. has shot a gun for a living um, can, can see how fucking ignorant and, and uneducated they are as it relates to, to firearms competency. And, and they use the incorrect terminology.
3: Yeah, I mean, everything. I mean, yeah, it, it,
2: you name it. And, and and so to me, it's like in, in just about every other realm of our society, like if it's a medical issue, you ask fucking doctors, you know, it's fire safety. Who do you talk to? Like you, you don't talk to politicians about what the yeah. best fucking way to protect your house from, from a fire is you talk to firefighters why is there not more engagement from our our political um parties and 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 you know assholes that run the show uh to asking guys like us or people that uh, that again have have had a profession in terms of firearm competency i, I don't know why there isn't more of that but what you know it, to me it, it's i know that it's a it's an element of of protecting you've got to harden the schools first but i'll just I'll let you get into it
3: you know it's kind of like For one, it's frustrating. I I agree with you. I'll be the first to say I am not an expert on school shooters and school shootings. I have never been in one. Thankfully, I I wish that nobody ever had to be in one. I've been in plenty of shootings, though, and I've been around firearms almost my entire adult life. But I think you you brought up a large portion of the problem just in your description. When there is an event, you have people who come out and they say guns are the problem. And then there is the other side of the coin where it says it's a societal problem. And in my personal opinion, there is essences, there's an essence of both of those in there. But if the entire conversation is framed around just those two things, I don't think anybody is actually trying to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Because the problem is safety for kids at schools. I'll know that this country and the people in charge are taking this problem seriously when the leading topic is school safety. Yes, guns are an issue involved in that. Yes, society is an issue and how we raise our kids and generational changes, that is an issue. But that's not going to stop a school shooting from happening tomorrow or from next week. I think we have reasonable gun legislation in this country already. I support the Second Amendment and reasonable gun legislation, which, like I said, I think we already have. I just don't see how adding more gun laws is going to change the behavior of people who are not interested in following the law because the last time I checked murder is illegal and that is not stopping the people who are going into schools with guns and murdering people. I do believe we have an issue with society and I, I did a podcast specifically about this recently, just trying to figure out, one kind of just work my way through my own feelings on it. And I just, I was thinking about the difference between when you and I grew up and uh, when my kids are growing up and it's not a difference in access to firearms I could have gotten my hands on guns. You could have gotten your hands on guns. So guns have been here since the founding of this country. There's definitely more now than then, but it's been part of our culture. So it's not a difference of access.
2: I mean, I would argue they're, they're the hardest to access at, at any given time in our nation's history right now.
3: I, I would have a hard time arguing against that for sure. So it's not an access to guns. And then I started thinking about the way that I interacted with people when I was the age of my son. And my oldest son turns uh, 15 here in October. And one of the biggest differences that I keep coming back to is that when you and I were growing up, if we had a face-to-face interaction or interactions in general, the consequences from that interaction, whether they be good or bad, were instantaneous. If I wanted to run my mouth to you, there were very few ways that I could actually do it. Yeah. I could do it to your face. Yeah. And deal with the consequences. I could write you a letter. I could write you a letter. That was one of the ones I covered in the podcast. But that's assuming I knew your address. Because I couldn't just look it up. Mm -hmm. If I knew your phone number, I could call you. And if I had your pager number, I could page you in the hopes that you could call me back and then I could talk shit to you. That was really it. By and large, though, the interactions were directly tied to consequences. The Mm -hmm. things that you said were directly tied to consequences. And now I look at the world that my children are growing up in, and surprisingly enough, my kids like first-person shooter video games. I am okay with that to a certain degree because I liked them as well, and I didn't turn into a serial killer. But what surprises me and worries me about those video games is not like the, the mode where you go in and you play the campaign, it's the mode where you go in and you play in this online universe, an ecosystem. And I'll go down and I'll listen to my son playing, and he won't know that I'm there because I'm a sneaky bitch. <laughs> but basically, it's because he has headphones on and he doesn't pay attention very well. Yeah. And the way that people talk and interact is substantially different than the way you would talk and interact in an elevator. Mm -hmm. The things that people say to each other that they say they're gonna do to each other the way that they interact that shit wouldn't work face to face but they can get away with it because there's no consequence. My son is connected to people through Snapchat that he doesn't actually know in real life. He can talk shit to anybody. He can pick any random name. He can see somebody getting piled on and getting bullied and he can pile on with no interaction or not, not an interaction with no consequence. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that I've heard, and again, the only, I bring up this name because I can't remember the other ones. I know that there's a couple other young men and women, but uh, David Hogg, I heard him say one time, we're the mass shooting generation. And you're not. You're the avatar generation. You're the generation of people that can create yourself online and exist in this world that is detached and devoid of consequence. Coupled with that, I see, I mean, just go out to a restaurant and watch families yeah. interact. They're not. They're doing this. They're looking down at their phone. It drives me nuts. Like You literally look around, and a mother and a father, husband and wife, and kids, and they're not talking to each other. They're sitting there on, again, social media that's not social, and it's not media. So they're more connected than they've ever been. But to what? They're actually more disconnected. And I think somewhere in there is this detachment from real life, from the reality where you can find yourself in a place – that, fuck it, I'm gonna take, I'm in pain. I'm gonna take a gun to school and impart and inflict this pain on somebody else. Yeah. Now, to me, that makes absolutely no goddamn sense in the world. I can't even imagine a way that that would ever be something that I would even consider doing. But I grew up in a different world yeah. with a different set of rules. And I don't know if that's the difference, but I think there is something there for sure. So that's the societal aspect of it, and that's only part of it. But goddamn it. Make the kids safe at school. And people are, oh, that takes time. Really? Now, I'm not a fan of the TSA. By any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. I
2: don't know issue is other than the TSA.
3: Correct. But do you remember the airports pre-9-11? Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember walking through my dad
2: with a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, fuck, I mean, I kept the three-inch Spyderco yeah. in my fucking pocket.
3: When I was a kid, I would walk up and chat with the pilot while he was flying the plane. <clears throat> yeah. And then what happened? Some people took over some planes and flew them into buildings and killed a bunch of people. Yeah. And I don't think it was overnight, but I think it was pretty, it was goddamn, pretty goddamn fast, fast yeah. that aircraft got locks on their doors, ballistic doors that were lockable and unopenable. And then look at what happened to the airports, right? It used to be an environment, just total laissez-faire attitude of, ah, yeah, let's get Pff, nobody's ever going to do this. Well, it happened. Yeah. And not that many times. Controlled entry points, enhanced security measures, both to the physical infrastructure and the security personnel on site, metal detectors screening devices, prohibited items. Is it an invasion of privacy? You're goddamn right it's an invasion like of privacy. Just like with the TSA. Yeah, but there's no, I'm saying that these things happen at the airport. Yeah. There are invasions of privacy at the airport, and yeah. there's also no more fucking airplane hijackings. Yeah. What are we waiting for?
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think, uh, I mean, to me, like, yeah, that that's step one. Um, and to me, I, I don't know how that's even fucking debatable, honestly. You know, like the the fact that there's there's even... Uh, you know, a counter argument to any of that or any fe- feet dragging whatsoever. Again, I think just speaks to the volumes of the, or speaks volumes to the the crip and blood mentality that our political system is, and, and it's more about saying the other guy's wrong than it is actually fixing the fucking problem. That's that's a big part of it on the on the big picture scale. I think to add one thing that that I I notice um, when you talk about you know uh, devoid of consequences in terms of interaction. With people I see that same problem both at at schools from a disciplinarian standpoint and from a parenting standpoint is that I think a a huge component that that is a a catalyst uh, that's magnified by what you're talking about um, starts with hamstringing both parents and teachers from jerking a knot in a motherfucker's ass (laughs) for fucking up. (laughs) You know, uh, because I mean, that, that's the reality of it is, is that just like the consequences that they were immediate then, like now you look at what, what a 10 year old at school can get away with yeah. verbally towards his teachers, towards his classmates. It, it is fucking astounding the amount of shit that can come out of a kid's mouth and nothing will happen. Well, nobody wants to draw a line between
3: right and wrong. And I
2: I don't know where that disappeared. I mean, well, to me, it's a, when it comes to physical consequences, I mean, to me and and why this drives such a a point home for me is is from the dog parallel is that that's what they understand. Now, granted, I'd say 85, 90% of the training I do is is positive reinforcement and I, I would subscribe to the same percentage. Uh, recommendations in terms of positive learning environments and, and shaping your child's behavior positively and in, in a in a fun environment where they're being rewarded for doing the right thing. However, yin without the context of yang is not fucking yin anymore. And and when there is absolutely no fucking consequence for doing the wrong thing other than withholding something positive, now now you're you're completely fucking skewed and, and now yeah. the world doesn't exist the way that it's supposed to. Um, and, and to me, when you, when you couple those two things, like it's, it's actually not even the slightest bit surprising that shit like that is continuing to happen, you know? And, and I, again, like, where do you go from here? I, I don't know how there's not more viable and, and, uh, serious discussions about hardening these fucking targets the same way we would planes. But then the other, the other, um, concept that needs to be addressed on, on the societal platform. And I, and I do, I mean, are guns part of the problem? To me, not really, you know, and again, like they're the, they're the mechanism used to express yeah. whatever the issue is.
3: And I agree with you. hardening the schools doesn't in and of itself solve the issue. Hmm. It it just removes one avenue for people to express yeah. that whatever pain or whatever they would describe it as. I don't know what it is. It doesn't solve the problem. It just makes the schools that right. school environment safe.
2: Yeah, it, it makes that expression way harder to correct to actually fucking execute. Um yeah i mean to me the 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 biggest thing is is the the politically correct mentality of of not you know being being held accountable you know it it seems like we've turned into kind of a victim based society where where everything's somebody else's fault and i'm the victim and and i have to remove your ability to do something as opposed to me just saying yeah you know what i fucked up to me like if there's one thing i can pinpoint that that i learned and, and drew from and took away from the seal teams in terms of a of a benchmark fundamental principle to live by is in, in Jocko's I mean, half of it is the, is the name half of the name of his book is fucking ownership yep. is, is take fucking accountability. When you make a mistake, we all do it. You and I have a, have storied, <laughs> storied pass of of fu- and story fucking things up and, and making <laughs> mistakes. But you know, the difference between, uh, you know, saying, yeah, you know what? I, I, I fucked up and taking accountability versus, pointing the finger at everybody except yourself is to me like that's that's the paradigm shift that took place that that is is enabling a lot of these things to happen where where it's that coupled with uh you know not being able to discipline fucking people and and children in, in a manner in which is uh is uh you know fair and appropriate now granted just like with everything is that you know the road to hell is paved in good intentions that you know the the intentions behind removing any any a semblance of corporal punishment in schools and in households yes it is so that you know abuse doesn't happen and and you know fathers aren't coming home you know pissed drunk off a six-pack of fucking pbr with a with an extension cord and whipping the fuck out of their kids like yes that's not any more acceptable either um but just like with everything is there needs to be balance and uh and to me it's it's so far in balance is that, that that's why you see this now uh in 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 such a prevalence but um, any, anything you want to add to that i agree man yeah. i mean that's really all i can add yeah uh, times two shipmate yeah um drug use uh, you know instead of uh, polluting your uh your answer well, i'll just say what what's your take on uh, drug use the war on drugs uh, legalization of certain ones or all of them what uh what is your perspective
3: Who, man the war on drugs how long have we been at that war
2: long fucking time are we winning or losing I mean, to me, it's it's a it's a never-ending battle of uh, of of, stupidity. I don't don't
3: know. I mean, is cocaine more dangerous if you make it legal and you tax the shit out of it and you use that money for something else? And I mean, you run the same risk as somebody using it illegally, right? Or or any substance or any drug, you get you get bent out of shape and you do something irresponsible and you hurt somebody else. Yeah. That's probably the worst case scenario. If people want to be irresponsible and the only person that they hurt is themselves, I am kind of a fan of Darwinism when it comes to a lot of that
2: stuff. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm on board a hundred percent. I mean, to me, like th- there's one devil's advocate role I'm going to play here in a minute. Um, at, the, at the tail end of this, but you know, to me, yeah, I, I, a lot of people subscribe to the mentality of, well, heroin and meth, like those things. You know, they ruin families and, and whatever. I mean, so does alcohol. Yeah. So does money. So does gambling. So does fucking McDonald's and Snickers bars, for that matter. Yeah. You know, if, if anything
3: you, in excess, yeah, will I mean, if,
2: have that effect. If you give it the 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 teeth to enact such uh, lethality on on your family, on your lifestyle, whatever, is that you can you can use a lot of things to fucking ruin your life um and to me these i look at it just like i do with with the gun debate problem and that you know if you look at it from like a a surgeon's table standpoint you know there's a fucking variety of tools on there guns are one of them drugs are one of them yeah you know by removing one of the tools like the person that's going to find a way to fuck his or her life up guess what there's a whole bunch of other ways to do that yeah and i agree i mean to me like you know people may think that it's a harsh mentality i don't give a fuck i mean darwinism is what it is i mean you know whether it's not wearing your seatbelt and drinking, or fucking, you know, sitting on the back end of a pickup truck, truck driving through a fucking, uh, you know, bumpy pasture out out here with a with a shotgun in your lap, hog hunting, and you shoot yourself in the fucking chin, or what? I mean, there's a lot of dumb shit to do out there, and and uh, and
3: my only issue with it is when it starts impacting
2: others. Yeah, but I mean, to me, like even then, I mean, alcohol is a is a good example. In in both, uh, there are already means in which people are are fucking killing each other ruining their lives, ruining their families by using alcohol, by using cigarettes. Those are both legal and taxed. But, you know, as an example, look at, uh, you know, prohibition like that didn't work the same way the war on drugs hasn't worked. You know, I I
3: think it was probably recognized as a failure very early on. And instead of taking ownership of that failure and perhaps looking for a better solution, I mean, how many billion, probably trillions. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, quite a few law enforcement men and women They spend the vast majority of their time policing in the world of the drug-related realm. And, I mean, I I don't know. I just feel like their time could be so much better spent, and that money could be— I mean, there's infrastructure falling to pieces all over this country.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. I
3: don't have the answers, but from what I see from the cheap seats, right, which is the easiest place to make criticism from— Maybe we should call that one a strategic loss yeah. and reevaluate what yeah. it is that we're doing.
2: No, I agree. I, I think the other part of it is that, you know, from a, from a black market standpoint, you know, and, you, and you, I would use the same argument with guns, and I do all the time, is that, you know let's say just hypothetically you banned every gun or you ban you know drugs are banned like name one place in the country where with cocaine is banned yeah i mean well (laughs) with with two hours and a couple hundred bucks you can't get your hands on fucking anything
3: yeah i live in northwestern montana meth is illegal and banned yeah cocaine
2: federal illegal,
3: banned heroin illegal banned those are the number three one, two, and three problems in our area that law enforcement is facing.
2: Yeah. They are banned. Yeah. And and it's the biggest problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, by, by them being banned, it also creates just like say the ivory trade. Most people don't typically give a fuck about ivory, but, or Cuban cigars, like people that don't even smoke fucking cigars want Cuban cigars, you know, historically back when, you know, it was harder to get your hands on because there's a stigma attached to it, you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, we can uh, sit in the echo chamber all day, I guess, but, uh, the one, here is the one thing that I wanted to play devil's advocate on, though, that made me think, uh, which is a dangerous prospect, I know. but uh, <laughs> Don't it, do it
3: too often. Yeah,
2: yeah. well, it's, it's, I schedule that every Thursday also. Um, the similarity to the war on terror uh, in terms of the war on drugs failure, Do you, to me there are elements of similarities between the two. And I, and I think it, it boils down more in execution than it does in principle. But I'm, I'm curious if, if you see a, a similarity in some instances with that.
3: You know, I've never thought about it like that. I mean, just thinking my way through this, I can certainly see, I can see parallels. Addiction could certainly, in my mind, be parallel to indoctrination. I could see it, but I I guess, and again, having never thought about this, there's a difference to me between an ideology and a methodology. There is a difference between that and a substance.
2: I guess from my perspective, in terms of how it's fought, of, of, you know, essentially trying to change ideologies is similar to trying to change addictions in terms of its scope of, of difficulty and by, by fighting it in certain ways that we are fighting it by actually making the problem fucking worse. I would agree. Yeah. You know, we're not solving, uh,
3: we're not solving terrorism by the way that we're executing these wars. Yeah. Um, it's actually not a problem that the Western world can solve in my opinion, I equate it to you're standing in front of a dam and it's leaking and you can either put your finger in the dam and buy yourself some time to try to empower or enable the grander solution, or you can sit there and you can drown. Uh, but I'll be the first to admit, like even looking back on my career and everything that I was involved in, I don't think I made the world any safer for my kids. Um, but having said that our job served a purpose and hopefully it served a purpose, the purpose being to provide space and time so that somewhere between us having our kids come up and have to put their finger in the dam and replace us, which is not what I want, we can educate and enable enough. I mean, the the f- problem we're fighting with with terrorism is not going to be solved by a non Muslim actor. It has to be solved from the Muslim religion in and of itself. Much like the problems with extreme Catholicism, yeah, you know, they have to be solved from inside of that organization because they're not going to listen to us. Yeah. And I don't blame them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I can see, yeah, I can see the parallels yeah. in the drug world as well. I, ne- I definitely need to think about that one
2: for sure. Yeah. I mean, to me, like I said, just in in preparing for it, uh, you know, always trying to look at things from from different perspectives. is That again, I think it's more on on execution similarities that, yeah. that it is principle levels. I, I think there's far more relevance and justification in fighting a war on terrorism. I mean, that's not even debatable, um, you know. But but the way that we're doing it, I see some a lot of parallels that I think uh, you know just. Could be gone, gone about a lot, uh, a lot more br- in a lot more bright fashion. But yeah, you'll uh, encounter in both of
3: them people saying, "Well, we're doing this. You know, maybe it's not making the biggest difference, but at least it's something." Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's not a solution.
2: Yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, I mean, one of the things I say in uh in dog training is that uh, no training is better than bad training. <laughs> you know, because it is, you'll fuck a dog up faster training him shitty than you oh, will I by just imagine. not doing it at all. But. Um, all right, so uh, I'm curious to get your take on government structure in terms of, uh, you know, just basic, you know, three branches of government, overhaul, term limits, age, competency <laughs> restrictions, etc.
3: Man, you know, this gets to rapidly to the limits of my uh, to my knowledge and understanding. Uh, unfortunately, I'll be the first to admit that. You know, when it comes to the true understanding of the makeup, like I understand the broad strokes, you know, the separations of power and the the three organizations inside of the government. For me, you know, what sucks for me personally, and I think this is probably happening to other people as well, is that with all of the bullshit we are bombarded by, I find myself paying attention less and less. And I know that's the wrong approach to take. But I'm at a point where I don't feel represented. represented, Represented—what's a crazy word? I don't feel represented by our government. Yeah. I I don't feel like quite often, most often. I hate using terms like always and never, but quite often, I just feel like the aims and goals of politicians and those elected officials are not parallel with my own.
2: Yeah, I, I think they're they're self serving primarily.
3: I think so too. I mean the. I, you know, things I would like to see. I would like term limits. Yeah. Um. How about if we can't balance our budget, you don't get to be paid. putting yourself in for re-election. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you come in on a four-year cycle. These are the criteria that have to be met. If you are unable to create a balanced budget, you are no longer eligible for re-election. See yeah. ya. Yeah. Oh, and your pension? You don't get that either. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't know the secondary and tertiary consequences of that, what might be caused from that. It sounds great to me. I think it's an amazing idea. I wouldn't mind pulling the trapdoor on all of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I'd almost like to see our government fail because I almost am at the point where I believe we'd be better off starting from scratch than continuing down the dog shit road we're on. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't want the country to fail. I'm not saying that at all. I don't want anything to happen to anybody, but I almost want to see, I almost want to see the system consume itself, so we can rebuild it in something that represents the people better.
2: Yeah, I, and I think uh, the fact that Trump was elected, regardless of of any of of what you think of him or what what's transpired since, or even leading up to it, is that the, the principled reason as to why he was elected is that I think most people feel that way and and thought. Kind of like, well, fuck it. Like, here's a guy who's going to kick over the hornet's Yes. Yeah, what's maybe. the
3: worst that's going to happen? Yeah, like, we,
2: we've been trying the same stupid shit for decades and getting nowhere, being promised everything and, and under-delivered as bad as you can be under-delivered, uh, lied to and, and uh, hoodwinked and, and what have you. And it's like, fuck it, let's give this nut job a chance, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, th- I think that says a lot, you know? It says a lot to to the mentality of, of the common man and, and where our country is at. Um, I'm curious, you know, uh, one of the things that, there's two things. One, uh, in terms of age restrictions, this is one of the things I've mentioned a couple times on here. But when I see people like Pelosi or McCain or, or, you know, some of these people that that when, in any other context of our society, you'd be looking at them like, "I I don't know if you should be driving, you know, or
3: are you trying to say they're 142 years old? I mean old? they're
2: they're fucking dinosaurs, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean you can see it when they talk, you know, they're they're borderline incoherent And if they didn't have a teleprompter like I I I wish they didn't. It just like, it you know, highlights the it
3: highlights the system for what it is. Yeah. It the system is actually extremely resistant to change. Yeah. It you know, if you're in, it almost seems like it's harder to not it's stay like a in Mafia. That, yeah. I mean, honestly, it, yeah. The, yeah, I, again, I'm not. I don't feel represented yeah, by don't. that. I mean, it, no. I mean, I, I'm curious. I wonder what percentage of our population is in their age range versus somebody who's 40 and under. Yeah. I mean, maybe our represented officials should represent more of the,
2: the the mean. Yeah, the mean average of, average of, average age. of ages in the yeah. country. Yeah, no, I think. I mean, that for sure that's a good start. I mean, that'd be a good. It'd be a revolving formula to a certain extent based on, yeah. on what the population is, but. uh I agree. I mean, maybe revolving is what we need a little bit more. No, yeah. There needs to be more of a, of a turnstile in the fucking Capitol building as opposed to a fucking jail cell that seems to, to trap everybody in. But, uh, last thing on that is, uh, what's your take on, on the job that Trump's doing overall?
3: You know, it comes back to, I don't know. I don't know what's bullshit. I don't know what's political banter. I don't know. I, I can't separate the wheat from the chaff 90% of the time. Some of the stuff he says, I laugh. I'm like, God damn. Yeah. I like that you said that. Yeah. Some of the stuff he says, I say, God damn. I can't believe you said that. Yeah. The country hasn't fallen off a cliff. Uh, some things are happening that people said would never happen. The Korean War, you know, the what's happening in the Korean Peninsula is a, is a good example of that. It's an amazing thing seeing the fucking ruthless dictator yeah. of North Korea walk to the border of South Korea, shake his hand, and then come across the border.
5: Yeah.
3: Did Trump have a hand on that? I don't know. If the previous administration had been in office when that happened, would they have given him the credit for that? I think so. Yeah. Um, So if it's bad, he should get the credit. If it's good, he should get the credit or the responsibility on the bad side, the credit on the good. I don't know. Um, I don't see it as being much different than the people that came before him. I just look at it honestly as... It's the status quo. Wearing a different suit is all it is.
2: Same whore, different dress. It really is. Yeah. Yep. That um, you know, like, he's not a politician. Well, he is now. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to me, like, I mean, you know plenty of business guys, same as me, in, in the circles we run in uh, nowadays. I mean, how many how many powerhouse business guys that are, you know, in, in those revenue ranges uh, that aren't fucking political? Yeah. You know, Now it may be it may manifest itself very differently than from a government standpoint, but rest the fuck assured, those people know how to put that hat on when it needs to be put on.
3: Look at admirals and generals; it's yeah. no different. Yeah.
2: So I mean, he's a politician, just one of a, of a different sort. Um, but anyway, um, Department of Education. You got kids. I've got kids. They're similar age ranges, where they're kind of right at the at the cusp of of their educational. Uh, instruction and in, in toolage, if you will. Um, I'm curious to get your take uh, from a national standpoint, Department of Education, schooling issues, problems you see, fixes, et cetera.
3: You know, one of the things that really bothers me is that I'm incapable of helping my kids with their homework Yeah. on a lot of the issues. Maybe I should have paid attention to it more, but at some point they switched over to this common core yeah. curriculum, and my kids will bring back you know, like math problems. Yeah. And I don't suck at math, but I can't help them with their homework. And it bugs me because I want them to come to me and I want to be able to help them. Like when it comes to helping them write papers or do research or when they give speeches, like I'm, I'm all in on that. No problem. But it almost seems like they're teaching ineffective means, especially in this arithmetic realm And then I look at some of the way that they are teaching the kids. It's almost as if they're teaching them to take tests, not solve problems. Absolutely. And there's a fucking difference between those two. I remember when we lived in California, it seems to be better in Montana. I remember we lived in California for like two weeks before they started taking the state tests, all of the homework honestly seemed to be based around getting them to practice filling in circles it no longer was about teaching and educating it was practicing for a test that i assume the teachers get their ratings from yeah and i get the desire to do that i mean they want to get a better rating but i want my kid to be able to function in life i want them to be a critical problem solver i want them to be a non-linear problem solver and I am not an expert in education. I try to teach them that. I don't know how you would do that on a mass level, but I feel like that is missing in the educational
2: system for yeah. sure. I think, uh, you know, to to expound on some of that, at least from, from my perspective on a, on a broad spectrum national scale, is the fact that there is a Department of Education. I don't think there should be, um, you know, to, to keyhole, uh, you know, California with Pennsylvania with fucking Iowa with Nebraska, you know. To me, like, I, I'm a huge advocate and proponent of, of that money coming from the federal government just not being a national cabinet-level bureaucracy that dictates all of the, these types of things that we're talking yeah. about. Because that that is a byproduct of it, in my opinion, is that, that a big reason why our, our schools aren't teaching kids to be critical thinkers is because there's a national fucking pot that... You know they're they're vying. I mean, it's almost like navy promotion, honestly. Yeah,
3: they got to hit the wickets if they want their money.
2: Yeah, you know, and so so it, it doesn't. It's not about learning at, at this point. You know, it's about money and, and about uh, resources. You know, that that continue to to fund their own fucking jobs, and and it's you can't really blame teachers for it because I mean, it's their fucking job. It's their livelihood. Yeah, you know. But I, I just I, I really wish it would go back to the states. I mean, to me that that is in my opinion, kind of the, the crux of the United States of America is not, is to have as few, uh, you know, nationally cabinet or, you know, national driven cabinet level positions to dictate certain policies. Like yes, Homeland security. That makes sense. Immigration makes sense. Fucking human trafficking makes sense. Fuck, you know, whatever. But you know, it just, it boggles my mind. Uh, I'm in the same boat. Like there's a lot of times with homework and uh, I'm embarrassed to say it's not just math, (laughs) you know, but um, but yeah, there's times where I'm just like, fuck, I, I don't know. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I'm honestly like, I'm I'm going on my phone and trying to figure out how to fucking solve some of these problems. And when they say this is how we were taught to do it, I'm just like, holy fucking shit, that they, might as well be in Greek. They
3: lay it out for me, and I and I look at, I'm like, what?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it like it's it's almost like if if we were having a competition. To see how long it could take you, and, and how confusing of a method you could find to figure out, you yeah. know, the problem to an answer like you—you you won, and, and that's it. You know, it's it's fucking staggering.
3: I was raised on the simple principles, right? There's three types of people in the world: those that are good at basic arithmetic, <laughs> and those that are not.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, fucking Christ, that's Brilliant. <laughs> uh, I love it. So, which category do you fall into? <laughs> You're the third, right? Um, yeah. No, it's a uh, again I, you know it, to me it, it hits home i think for both of us because of, of where we're at in our lives with uh, you know with children but um, you know that and, and coupling on to uh, you know some of the other issues with with tying the parents and administration's hands in terms of discipline i think yeah. uh, you know when you, you couple all those things together and and it's kind of a shit sandwich um, all right women's roles in specifically society military spec ops sports etc there's a lot of you know the war on women and gender mm-hmm. pay gaps. And uh, I'm curious to get uh, get your take on um, most specifically like, you know, military society and, and specifically special operations, I guess. in the sure. military, But
3: I mean, for me, let's start with the understanding that women have been serving in combat and near combat and damn near on the front lines since the inception of war. My grandma is a great example of that. The post-traumatic stress that she suffered, the things that she saw and that she had to deal with are worse than most things that of people who serve in the military have to see i'm a believer in blind standards you know they they two three years ago they they uh dictated that all all military occupations to include every special operations occupation should be opened up to women and if your standard is legitimate it should be blind it's really the only way to have any integrity in it and if there is a woman that can meet the exact same standards as a man not gradiated in any way or degraded in any way, I can bring it. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I mean, I live with a woman. She's more lethal than most of the men (laughs) I served with. (laughs) She'll kill a dude, no problem. More than likely, it's gonna be me. If I ever go missing, she's the suspect. Um, I have no problem with it. You know, there's some environments I think they might be better suited for than others. There's some environments where I think they might be more lethal than men, but it has to fall back on the standard and not a desire to show a proper ratio. The standards for our job are driven from the occupation. They're driven from the demands that we see overseas, not from the demands that we want to see overseas. So as long as, like, again, I'll keep going back to that standard. If you can meet it, I have absolutely no problem.
2: Yeah. In, in term, the, the one follow-on question to that is in terms of integration, mm-hmm. uh, do you take, because I, I, I subscribe to the mentality of, that 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 standard that we're talking about is is ever present right it's it's in the integration it's yep. in everything is that there's there's no accommodations made birthing showers you if you're on the team you're on the fucking team if What's we're talking that, about know, special Starship operations
3: the enemy is not going to care if you want a special shower if you want a uh, unique time to do whatever it is that you want to do they don't they don't care about yeah. your considerations yeah so your training has to replicate that. Now, as far as integration goes, yeah, you're going to have problems. Yeah. When you mix men and women, look at submarines as an example. I mean, yeah. shit. Yeah. Um, they integrated submarines and rapidly started having issues. Yeah.
2: I mean, even on ships. I mean, shit. I don't know if you did any any, arg platoons or not. I
3: never did. I, we would transit on from yeah. time to time, but it, it's the it's same right? Like The issues you have with men and women in society outside of the military hey, guess what? Sometimes men like women, and sometimes women like men, yeah. and sometimes there's some issues that come from that. Yeah. And yeah, is that going to happen? Is that going to be something that you have to deal with? Yes, but deal with it. If, it, if it's that important, then deal with it.
2: Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I look at it as one of the beauties that the military, at least in theory, should be able to Adhere to is you know take any any issue any question that you have and 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 separate it into into A or B is that does it make us a better warfighting force does it not if it does you do it if it doesn't you don't yeah by and large you can pretty much drive that whole military train on that fucking fork in the road to me the 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 big question is you know I, I referenced the uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum and fucking Jurassic Park is you know we've spent so much time whether or not you know thinking about whether or not we could or couldn't whether or not they could or couldn't do it yeah we never stopped and thought about whether or not we should and to me like that that's that's the the concern I have or or really what the what the burning question is is that is is the detriment and, and issues that that would inevitably come and stem from integrating women into those types of roles is that worth the augment of what they're going to bring to the table war fighting war fighting capability wise because to me i look at, at is, israel as a great example of i, I agree and that there are there are instances where women i think are better suited especially yep. from a, ta- a tactical and, and even covert standpoint of being able to get into places yep. and do a lot of things you and i would never be all you able need to, to do.
3: do is look at your average bar yeah yeah if you were to give me the tasking of going into a bar and eliciting information from as many women as possible, I'm gonna come back with probably zero. <laughs> if you give an attractive woman the same role of going into a bar and eliciting information from men, she's gonna come back with all of them, or, all or, the information you could possibly want. Or women. Correct. Yeah. And uh, there's no character or value judgment there, it's just I'm not physically capable of doing one and they are better suited in that environment based on the way that men and women interact. Afghanistan is another great place where you have to have women involved because the women there will not talk to men that are not their husband. Yeah. I cannot force, well, I guess I could force them to, yeah. but I'm, I'm going to be defeating the purpose of getting them to want to talk to me in the first place. Yeah. Is it worth it? In my opinion, if the sole purpose is to prove that it is possible, no. It is
2: yeah. not even remotely
3: worth it. In the SEAL teams, would it be worth it?
2: No. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that it would. I, I think my, my take again is is take Israel as, as why reinvent the wheel. Like have female special operations detachments that are stood up from scratch that yep. are all female that do their own fucking thing. Like there just shouldn't be women. Which, seals. by the way, exists
3: in the U.S. military. It's just not
2: talked about. Often. Yeah. But, you know, to me, like bring that to the forefront and, and have have a bigger uh, slice of the pie dedicated to that, you know, but. Um, all right, so moving on, uh, abortion, religion, uh, freedom of religion, liberty of ab- abortion, kind of how they all factor in uh, to a certain extent with each other. What What is your take on, uh, on on those from a society standpoint?
3: Okay, I was not expecting this question. Yeah.
2: Um. You're welcome.
3: <laughs> uh, I don't like telling people what they should do. I don't like... I believe in, I believe in freedom. Yeah. I believe in, a, in an individual's right to choose. There's an interesting argument or a discussion, and I and I don't know exactly where I net out on it. When it's when it comes to abortion, they say it's a woman's body. It is, but at some point, a fetus becomes a child in and of itself that is being carried in a woman's body. And again, I don't necessarily because then it's is that it, it, inception. You know, I don't. I personally get lost in how I feel in those issues, but I always will come back to, as a person, the reason that I want to make a difference and the reason that I'd be willing to give my life for this country is that so people can have the ability to choose. Yeah. And I feel that that should be the case with religion. If you want to practice extreme religions, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but be fucking prepared for the consequences.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, if, if it goes outside the realm of what affects you and your... Correct.
3: You, know. you can believe, you know, when it comes to, you know, a good example is, uh, you know, freedom of speech. People look at freedom of speech as, I should be able to say whatever the hell I want to say. I look at freedom of speech as, how much can I tolerate somebody else saying something that disgusts me, yeah. that deter- that turns my stomach? People not, uh, people burning the flag. I don't think I'd be able to stop myself from getting involved in that if I saw it in person, but I think they should have the right to do it. Yeah. I don't agree with it at all. Uh, Kneeling at the National Anthem. Okay. I stand at the National Anthem and I try to choke back tears every single time. I don't support kneeling, but I'm not going to tell them to stop because... I don't look at my rights as what I can force other people to do. It's about how much I cannot tolerate from other people. That's freedom to me. It's not about me trying to express myself. It's about allowing other people to express themselves.
2: Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head and I think uh, you know, that that mentality seems to be much more prevalent in, in those of us who have, you know, written a blank check up into including our lives to that cause.
3: I never wrote that check. Yeah, did you go down I to did. the PSD? Yeah. And write? That? Well, I, I actually had a,
2: I was drunk and I saw I had a buddy forge it, but
3: did they notarize yeah,
2: that? Yeah, I didn't. No, they didn't. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you know, but, but to me that there, there is a, there's a, I think a pretty, pretty significant element of, of, uh, of people who, who have fought for it. Yeah. You know, so vigorously that, uh, well, know. when you feel the cost, yeah. if you've ever felt the cost, if you've
3: ever looked in a casket and saw one of your best friends, and seeing their family members destroyed, if you've ever watched a son or a daughter looking at their dead father who's laying in a you know flag draped coffin it'll have a different meaning yeah. but and I understand why people don't understand that, yeah, which is a ridiculous sentence. I understand what people <laughs> understand I understand how they can forget yeah I understand how it can feel free but it has a cost but the cost doesn't ever touch you if you never feel the weight on your shoulders a little bit it's hard to appreciate i understand i don't support it at all but i have a level of understanding of of how it occurs yeah
2: i I think uh i mean that's really the the backbone of it is is you know i feel i'd say you know pretty much textbook very similarly and that you know there's so many fucking things that, that drive me nuts Yeah, that I can't fucking stand that that similarly, like, I don't know how I would react in person, yeah. you know, given c- certain circumstances.
3: I think they have the right to do it. You know, I c- just don't know if I could uh, yeah. control myself yeah. because c- it can, has a different meaning to yeah. me.
2: Conceptually, do I think they ought to be able to? Yeah, yeah. I do. Like, that's the whole fucking point. You yeah. know, to me, whether it's the First Amendment, you know, or or really just liberty as a broad concept, is that it's 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 not designed for what we already agree with, yeah. what we're already comfortable with, what we can stand and or, or tolerate or not mind. It's for all of the other things that don't fall into that category, you know? So, um, no, it's good shit. I, I love hearing it. Um, in terms of surveillance, mm-hmm. um, you know, as it relates to, you know, combating terrorism, et cetera, I know a lot of times, you know, Patriot Act or whatever is that there, there's some, you know, infringements or, um, you know, what you could argue are, uh, you removals know, of freedom. Yeah. Well, and, and that, and, you know, walking a very fine line, you know, disguised under the cloak of, of protection and freedom that, uh, that kind of stomps all over the fucking constitution. I'm, I'm curious if that didn't give you an indicator as to my, my thoughts on it, but
3: uh, yeah, I mean, I forget to, to equate the, uh, the quote to, but and I might mess this up, but it's, when a government fears its people, you have freedom. When people fear their government, you have tyranny. Yeah. And I think it's true. Yeah. Um, after 9-11, there was a sense of fear and you know, hopelessness and lack of security, I think, by most people in this country. And the government dove into that gap yeah. headlong. And I think we lost a lot more freedom than people understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's invisible, I think, to most parts. And it's interesting because you can tie this into how do you feel about people who send documents to WikiLeaks? Yeah. How do you feel about the Peyton Mannings of the world? Who, the Brad Mannings. The,
2: Peyton Manning is a quarterback. But, I mean, hey.
3: No, how do you feel about him? Sometimes i Do you like his spiral? <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Paid man, you're the best. Yeah. Uh, no, but you know uh, any of the people, you know, because it, it ties in. Are they criminals or are they patriots? Are they trying to show us that the government has overstepped, or should they be put to the torch? It's an interesting conversation. I feel like we have given up a little bit too much of who we are. Mm-hmm. I feel like we have lost a lot of the freedoms. I mean, I one freedom that I want is autonomy. I wanna be able to think what I want and write what I want and say what I want and not have every fucking thing recorded and dissected and potentially used against me some other yeah. day. Yeah. And that's not the world we live in right now. Yeah. And those leaks display a lot of that stuff. And if it's not our own government looking into their own society, we just have one of our allies do it from across the border, yeah. right? The agreements that they enter into, mm-hmm. so therefore it doesn't necessarily trample on the Constitution, it tiptoes, yeah. right? But the result is the same. Yeah. I'll tolerate the risk for the freedom. I'd rather that than be in a prison and not be able to see the bars.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, so there's two things: is that you know the the Ben I think it's Ben Franklin's quote of uh, any man who would trade uh, safety for freedom deserves neither. Uh, (laughs) That's a good one too. Yeah, which I fucking love. And and I thought that
3: was Peyton Manning's as well. Damn it!
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's John Elway said that. Fucking uh, yeah. Um, Ricky Bobby once said. Uh, no, but the, um, to me, the, so that that's the first thing is that I, I agree. Like to me with, with great freedom comes great responsibility. It's big boy rules. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's being in a platoon for the first time and saying, yeah, you can do whatever the fuck you want. But if you don't, if you don't show up with your shit wired tight and your shit ready to go, guess what the fucking, you know, the house of pain is, is coming, uh, is that there, there's a, a an element of that to, to where, yeah, that, that is freedom. And, and whether you're talking drugs, whether you're talking abortion, whether you're talking whatever is that. To me like i equate freedom to pregnancy uh you either are or you're not like you, yeah. you're not kind of free or or half pregnant like motherfucker you, you're either free or you're not
3: the you issue know? is when they when it moves in either direction one percent at a time yeah. the
2: insidious yeah, creep the, the slippery slope and, and that's yeah. that's i know that that's a, a big concern second amendment wise of, you know, where does, where does that stop? It's, it's, you know, the bump stock here, it's the fucking background check there, whatever. And, and, uh, and I get it. Um, one thing that I am curious though, what ties into the next subject is immigration. And the reason why this comes on the heels of the surveillance threat is that I think from a broad spectrum standpoint is that you've got a lot of the issues that I see that justify that our government justifies surveillance would be fixed. By stauncher immigration policies and 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 much more robust border security, because without you know the fucking gates wide open, yeah. you, you don't need to monitor your people nearly as much, in my opinion. And one of the references you used earlier of of um, you know plugging the hole in a in a in a leak is that you know I, I view border security and, and immigration reform slash policy that same way. Is that like right now? I truly do believe border security is 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 one of, if not the most important fucking thing our country faces right now because of that is that I equate it to you walk into the bathroom and the fucking shitter's leaking and And you and I grab mops and we try to fucking mop up the the leaking shitter like while it's still overflowing. Like that's what we're doing right now, you know and and that's never going to solve anything. But by fixing that, you know one of the the enormous, positive byproducts of that is a a decreased sense of necessity for such robust surveillance policies, in my opinion. What, uh, What do you think?
3: I think we are a country of immigrants. I think we were founded on that, right? And I also, I would say I would agree. We are a country that was founded on immigrants, but the world changes. Technology changes. Things that were not an issue previously can become an issue in the modern day. I want there to be access and availability for people to come to this country because it's the best fucking country on the face of the planet. People dismiss more shit every day blindly and underappreciate or don't even recognize what we have. People would kill to have those opportunities. And guess what? That's why they're trying to come here. I don't blame them for doing that. Now, I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking like a terrorist. It's a problem. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy it, so I'm not going to stop anytime soon. We haven't defeated terrorism. And it's, uh, it's actually just a military tactic, right? It's an effective tactic where a numerically inferior force can control a numerically superior population through fear, through doing shit that nobody could ever possibly believe, by strapping bombs on kids and sending them to birthday parties and clacking them off. So we hardened our... Aircraft. That was one step. I look at this from a perspective of what would I want to do if I wanted to get people inside of the borders of the United States? One of them would be through the internet, right? Which is, I mean, that's a border that's a tough one to secure, especially if you have freedom of access to information and speech. San Bernardino shooters are a good example of how people can become radicalized without physical contact. But there's other ways. If I had a chemical weapon, if I had a man portable nuke, it's so easy to walk into this country, not, not let alone skipping the immigration process and thinking about it from a Manchurian candidate perspective, right, of playing the long game, which I'm sure countries like China and national state actors are already doing. And mm. I'm sure we are, too, Yeah, that, you know, the 20, 30 year long game where they get work their way slowly into these organizations where they have influence and, and they can exert that at the appropriate time. So, physical, actual physical border security, yeah, that's an issue that we need to handle for sure. Because if I was looking at this from a perspective of wanting to do damage and get things into this country that they were not having access to here, that's how I would do it. Yeah. And then from an immigration policy, like I said, I understand why people want to come here, but that doesn't mean that we can have or cannot have a very robust screening policy that does the best we absolutely possibly can do. To make sure that the people that we are going to accept into the country are not here to do damage to it I I don't see why those two things are mutually
2: exclusive, you know Yeah, I mean to me the what I would do, uh, you know put put us in charge of the country for fucking 20 minutes Which is a dangerous prospect that
3: is more than enough for us to sink the ship. Yeah, well (laughs) uh, I
2: I challenge accepted I mean, That's what it needs anyway, right? The, I would swap the department of education and make a department of In- uh, immigration, you know, yeah. si- similarly is I, I mean, to me, that is a national level cabinet position that, that warrants, you know, justification and, and necessity to, to, to be made is, is that, you know, to, to have exactly what you're talking about. Cause I agree. Like, I don't think nobody should come here. It's that motherfucker, what are you bringing to the table? You know, like yeah. you don't come because it's, you know, the, the family policies or the goddamn lottery like that to me is absurd. Uh, I, it, it it freedom
3: needs to be earned yeah right. and the freedoms that we have they have been earned yeah and they should be protected and I, I honestly feel quite often like we're the only ones at the table playing the short game while other organizations and entities are playing the long game and their long game is the degradation of our society which is which, happening which is what we should be doing everything we can to, to Possibly and practically defend against.
2: Yeah, no, I uh, I agree, hundred percent. Climate change. Didn't see that one coming. Did you see it coming? <sighs> Didn't see it coming. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, all right, so climate change. Keep it uh, fairly short. Is it what uh, what's your take on it?
3: Uh, this is a huge hole in my personal game. I'm actually trying to nail down a guy named Jeremy Jones, who is a uh, he makes snowboards, but he also founded an organization called POW Protect Our Winters. And self-admittedly, huge hole in my game. I don't know. Because, again, I get bombarded with, it's true, it's not true. They're, these people are idiots. These people are geniuses. And I, I don't have the intellectual horsepower to crank my way through the raw data. Yeah. I think it's real. That's my, my assessment. I mean, our population is exploding. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of dumb shit as a race. There's got to be consequences to that. I just don't understand at the level that I should what those consequences are, and I'm trying to close the loop on that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I would say I'm uh, probably similarly um, ignorant to it, other than the fact that, to me, common sense would tell you, you know, basically what you said, but then also just just take automobiles as an example, is that, you know, if if you can – shut your garage door, turn your car on and be dead in a matter of minutes. Like <laughs> chances are with, you know, I think you f- need a hose for that too. Uh, but. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah give you a fucking hose. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, chances are that having, you know, t- hundreds of millions of vehicles, billions, you know, driving around, yeah. you know, uh, is probably not that great for us, you know? Yeah. And, and that's one example, you know, uh, fucking water and, factories and, and plastics and, and uh, you know the fucking beads and your toothpaste and antibiotics going down I mean you know so so yes like th- there has to be a, a significantly detrimental impact from us as a species uh, you know enacted on the planet to me I'm I'm with you and I think more people should take a little more even-keeled approach and then it's like you know I, I don't fucking know how big of an impact that is and, and I don't think anybody really does I mean to to say, well, it's fucking science. Like, yeah, I, for sure, there's some some negative impacts. There's no two ways about it. But uh, just like with most things, I talk about balance, whether it's dog training, life in general, is it, you know, t- take a little more fucking, you know, on, on the fence approach to to saying, obviously, there's, there's an impact and there's things that we can be doing better. To what extent? I don't know. I mean, the fact that uh, most weathermen can't fucking accurately predict what fucking day it's gonna rain here three days in advance like you know tells you that if you're if you're telling me I mean shit 30 40 years ago they were worried about the next ice age you know so uh, you know to me it's like temperate a little bit with the with the people that are running around throwing bricks through your fucking truck window because you drive a diesel fucking pickup it's like stop being an asshole you know but uh, campaign finance I mean, is there a dirtier system in America than the political system? I, I would argue to say that even porn is not as dirty as, as campaigns and in, in their finance uh, yeah.
3: capabilities. Yeah, and again, I, I mean, I have a broad understanding, and I do know that there have been exclusions now where corporations can donate as much as they want to, and, you know, why would they do that? It doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out why they would. I perform
2: surgery on several rockets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: I, I mean, I just, I, I'm disgusted by the whole system. It's, I, I think it should be burned to the ground. And yeah. again, I don't want it to fail, but maybe that's what we need. And if you can just inject, I mean, it's, it seems to be that the more money that you have into it, the more likely that you're going to be able to succeed in your goals because yeah. you can outmarket yourself. You can out promote yourself. Well, none of these individuals other than clump, Trump clump, well, other than Trump <laughs> claiming that he has the ability to do so. I mean, they don't have the ability to do that. So they're taking in money. Yeah. I mean, it's in a normal monetary transaction. You write a check for something. You want something in return. I mean, I just I think it's a filthy system.
2: Yeah. To me, I I agree, and I, I think you know similarly. I, I don't want it to I don't want it to fail either. To me, like the the, the simple solution is is have a cap on it, uh, but have it be obnoxiously fucking low. You know, like literally like a hundred grand. Yeah. You know, even if you want to give a campaign, okay, a million, fine. But, I mean, for fuck's sake, a billion-dollar campaign, you know, I mean, is, is was in the upwards. I mean, the, the Clinton machine, it may have even been over that. Fuck, I mean, with all of their dirty bullshit overseas, fuck, who knows? Maybe it was over a billion. It wouldn't surprise me. But, you know, to to level that playing field so that, you know, we talk about under, under-representation, not being represented, excuse me, properly is that, to me, by, by doing that, by making it something uh, obnoxiously low to, to where it, it might as well be nothing. Uh, you know, on a national scale is say $100,000 is to me that that is what would would ultimately give the ability for you and I and the rest of the 99.8% of the population that that is the common man that makes up the fabric of our fucking society. That is how we are represented at that point. Yeah, is to have it be like to me, while that may not seem like fucking campaign finance, like what big of like to me, it's a huge fucking deal because of that.
3: I mean, imagine, I mean, this will, I don't think it'll ever happen, but imagine if they had to run just on their principles alone, Yeah. as opposed to the checkbook of the people supporting yeah. them, Yeah. it I mean, would I, be a different race. Yeah.
2: And I, I mean, to me, like having run a nonprofit for a fucking decade almost, um, like I understand that there, there's are some elements that, that you have to be able to accommodate for in terms of, uh, of the logistics to, to even be able to get your principles out on that level, but i mean christ with uh with social media and the internet and, and the and podcasts and the platforms that exist technology wise today you you don't need much to get yeah. that message out you know and to me like if i could pinpoint one thing that that could potentially fix this this system it, it's actually that uh, and for that reason is that when you when you cut all of that that monetary influence from corporations because it's, it's not just at presidential campaigns it's i mean the fucking delta county that i live in here you know i mean like the the smallest town isn't
3: dan crenshaw running somewhere here in texas
2: down in houston yeah
3: so i put him through training awesome guy seal officer and one of the first things he was talking about internal to the community when he wanted to run was like guys i need your support i have to raise money yeah it's he can't run on just his principles alone he's got to be able to have money to combat the person he's running against because of their checkbook yeah
2: Yeah. And so to me, like, again, like a lot of people may hear, why are you talking about campaign finance? Like, does it really make that big of a difference to me? Like it really fucking does. Like, like to me, and that's why I'm ending with it in terms of talking about politics, government and whatever is that, is I, I truly believe by, by doing something that simple, the the profound impact that, that, that that would have on level that on legitimately leveling the playing field for the actual assholes that are going there to fix the fucking problems like that. That's what fixes that, you know, w- without hitting the reset button to a degree in which this yeah. country just completely fucking implodes. Like to me, that that's the most common sense step that, that we as a society could take. And and I know, and, and you know, and most people know that because of, of the hooks that are in in Washington, DC with the people that, that are in charge, like that will never fucking happen because of that, because they know better and they're going to protect that position like a mama bear and her fucking cubs coming out of hibernation. But, uh, but anyway, I mean, that's, that's my take on it. Um, what, uh, the, the last question I'm going to ask you uh, before we uh, wrap it up, uh, is where do we go from here? Andy? Dinner? Well, for fuck <laughs> I thought we were going to break in the tempur You're going to show, you're going to show me your expertise on uh, in the tempur campaign.
3: It's, uh, it supports your lower back and your aching muscles. Where do we go from here? Oh man.
2: That's a cool story, bro. Hey, so I just want to st- Yeah. <laughs>
3: um I think we might need to go backwards a little bit. I think I don't think this country was founded on perfect principles and ideologies
2: as much as we like to over-romanticize it. We fact do
3: like that, to uh, over-romanticize it, and there's a lot of bullshit that's tied inside of there. But I think that their baseline desires and values were true. And I say that because of the constitution they created and the bill of rights that came from that as well. And the creation of this fucking amazing country. And I, I just find us drifting farther and farther and farther away from those values. And I don't think that there's anything good down that road. Yeah. I, in my personal opinion, that might mean something to some people and nothing to others, and I'm fine with that. I think we maybe need to go backwards a yeah. little bit.
2: I, I agree uh, completely in that, you know, uh, to me, there should be a constitutionalist party. You know, and, and I really do think, I mean, some people may may assume or, or cross wires with that being the Libertarian Party. I I don't. Um, to me, like the brilliance in that document should drive every decision. It yeah. really should. It's like, what do you think about this? Well, what's the fucking Constitution say? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's like,
3: amazing how much foresight they actually had.
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean, to me, like the the fact that that after all this time, the the relevance that it still holds in our society, even with the technology advances and, and cultural changes that that we've gone through as, as a country, uh, it still is is very very fucking prevalent in our society in terms of the impact that it that it should play uh, or can play if if it's uh, you know adapted to correctly but I, I would love to see that I, I wish that that uh, you know between campaign finance and just using that as our nation's bible as it were uh, to, to truly separate church and state but just you know make the constitution our bible and, and use that as as the compass because uh, you know to me it's it's the 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 ridiculousness of it is that it's fucking easy you know like you don't really in concept yeah i mean you, like you, you don't really have to think about it. it's like well, what's the fucking constitution say you know but um at any rate i gotta tell you man we've been uh been at it for over three hours now have uh, we really we have Yeah. You know? it's like good sex andy uh you, you, I haven't experienced that over three hours <laughs> just being honest yeah, well, you're married, right? So yeah, it's true. The uh, w- w- but yeah, we we've, we've been going at it a while. We've covered a, a host of topics. Uh, you flipped the page a few times. We've gone through the, some yeah, stuff. We have, uh, and I, did, I There's a couple things that uh, that we covered uh, inadvertently, or or uh, you know, through kind of a back channel to where uh, where I kind of skipped over it. But it's been fucking awesome having you here. Uh, I knew it would be. Um, you know, the the depth of conversation that uh, that we have is is pretty fucking cool. I think, and uh, and I enjoy the hell out of talking through these things with you and, uh, and look forward to having you back. Uh, maybe I can come up there and, and you have do, to, man. Do, do the show on, on, yeah. on your, on your, uh, stage. But, but, uh, you know, I, again, I can't thank you enough for coming down here, for sharing your insight, uh, for making the trip, looking forward to, uh, having a few drinks and shooting the shit, getting some good food and, uh, and hanging out. But, uh, again, I, I, you know, it's, it's been fucking great having you here and I, My pleasure, I appreciate man. you coming. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, um, where, where can we find uh, you online and, and follow what you have going on and, and all the things that, uh, that are Andy?
3: Well, I'm contractually obligated to have social media from the skydiving world. You. <laughs> so I, I, I am present on social media. I'm certainly not a powerhouse. I have the, you know, the Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and they're all versions of my name. I think my, my Instagram is AndyStump212. My Twitter is AndyStump77 because some asshole has Stump for both of those. <laughs> Facebook is just my name. And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, if you want to look at see what I do, I have a website, andystump.com, which again was somebody else's suggestion. Yeah. And uh, I host a podcast as well called Cleared Hot. I'm a little bit ahead of you on the episodes number, but you'll surpass me soon enough.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, it's a, I, for sure, it's not a race, I tell you. But uh, oh, you're racing me! Yeah. Don't well, lie to me. Now it's a con- now it's a goddamn competition <laughs> and a race to dinner. Uh, Rubbin's racing. Um, well, good. Um, in terms of uh, any of the fundraiser stuff, um, where, where can people go to to continue to contribute to that for the Navy SEAL Foundation?
3: Uh, there's a couple ways. One of them. And when it comes to fundraising in general, with our DNA, right, we lean towards the SEAL Foundation. And I've had people ask me enough times now about organizations that are truer or closer to their families. If you want to support what you and I are talking about in our community, the Navy SEAL Foundation is a great way to do so. And just go to their website, navysealfoundation.org. If you were to give me a penny, the penny is going to go to them anyway. So you can find anything you find associated with me. We'll have a link to it at some point. But just go to their website if you want. Uh, and for everybody else, you know, who wants to make a difference when I was serving, I never really had a good answer for people who would say, thank you most often, but what can I do to help? Uh, because I didn't understand how selfish I was being, like we talked about earlier and helping the families does help. So find a charity that supports whatever is closest to your DNA for army or an air force, Marines, coast guard, whatever it may be. And uh, donate your money if you have extra money. And if you don't donate your time, you yeah. know, there's always something that you can give, but there's a lot of great charities out there. Uh, find one in the avenue that you want to support, and then just do that.
2: And if you're a parent, don't raise little dipshits. Indeed. We're going to end on that note. Uh, <laughs> for all the uh, the listeners, again, I can't thank you guys enough. If it were not for your support, this show would not exist. If it were not for uh, spectacular guests such as Andy here, uh, it transversely would also not uh, not exist. So, Uh, I'm fortunate enough to just sit here and flap my gums a little bit. I appreciate everybody listening, uh, tuning in. And until next time, this is Mike Gunn.
1: Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were paid by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa! Take it easy, Judy. Ch-ch-chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with firsthand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.